what an amazing technology indoor plumbing is. You're a Stephen Johnson fan, right? Yes. Yeah, so you know his book Ghost Map from several years ago, like a decade ago, 2006. Uh, it was about the uh, the fellow who basically invented uh, epidemiology. Yeah. And uh, but it also has a really long discussion about how before I mean there was indoor plumbing then. This is actually when we had generally had indoor plumbing in cities. How what happened to all the effluvia? Where did it go? Right. There were all these specialized professions. Um, to deal with like night soil and other kinds. So there were various products and various people whose professions were to handle the products of society. Um, and it's really incredible. Like that, like the book is great because it's about sort of how empirical science becomes a thing that we then start to rely on and it changes the nature of medicine and health. But it's also like, wow, there were a lot of people employed dealing with shit in London. I mean, yeah. you had to, you had to be. Well, it's, if you think about it, it's not just, I, I at first thought it often just seems like wow that would be inconvenient, <laughs> but the volume right that it's oh man and the smells right like it's like once a year or so I end up having to go in like a porta potty for some reason or another you know I'm I'm at some sort of event where you've got to go in a porta potty and porta potty technology I think has advanced to a significant <laughs> degree where 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 there's that blue stuff that's in the hole that I think does take care of an awful lot of the the unpleasant odors of just <laughs> releasing your your waste into a literally just, just a big bucket. In the uh, little uh, tent ca cabin and tent, uh, cabin uh, tent, uh, uh, camping recently and um, experienced more sort of field latrine style. Right. But that's very different. It always occurs to me, though, that that was what going to the bathroom was like every single time you went to the bathroom. Oh, yeah. I try to think, like, when we think about the past, we think about inconveniences and we think about horses and muddy streets and all that. Like, uh, were you watching Westworld uh, just finished up? I, I have watched Westworld. The, I did. Um, this the series is extraordinary, I think. The finale is great. I really, really liked it. We have an episode coming out on The Incomparable about the whole, with all full of spoilers. Um, but, you know, that's the vision of the West where it's really neat and clean. So the people right. are shooting each other and there's fornication and so forth. But there is no horse manure on the streets of right. Westworld because it's cleaned up. And I've often thought the thing that we can't replicate when we think about the past is the smell. Right. And the and the constant mess, like everything was dirty and everything smelled until like 1910 or 1890 or something like that, and then it started to improve gradually. And then by the you know 1930s, cities smelled a lot less, and by the 50s, it was sort of like if things smelled, something was terribly, terribly wrong. Right. I've heard maybe it was even in the Stephen Johnson book, uh, but I, you know, and it makes sense. But like in like the late at the turn of the last century the streets of major cities like New York and, and Philadelphia and London were just, it, it were just curb to curb horseshit. It was, <laughs> it was just, the streets were just paved with a layer of horseshit because there was no way to keep up with yeah. it. John, is this a metaphor for this year? It could be. I sort of feel like that's what we're, we're talking about one thing, but we mean another, but I did think that Westworld, I, I, I thought that it was weird that the, that they never addressed the, the sort of, uh, the roughing it aspects of, I mean, I, this is not a spoiler. The basic concept of the show is not a spoiler that it's at some point in the future, there's like a theme park where people go. And for a lot of money, you get to pretend to live in the old West for a couple of days. 
and there's action and adventure that you can take part in. Um, but it's yeah, nobody mentions that you know you got to go shit in an outhouse. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. It's a very. It's clean. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, there's some there's a lot of certain bodily fluids, mostly blood, um, but there's no other kinds of bodily fluids. You know, there's a sense of sensibility thing. Like there's things you can't. Uh, there's things you can't do and talk about, um, even on HBO, apparently, which is good. But yeah, it was kind of, but it was supposed to be a theme park. So for all we know, um, hidden in the bushes were like, uh, you know, little potties that broke the uh, spirit. But I, I think, um, yeah, I think uh, that's the thing that people don't get. People who camp know about this, of course, because they deal with it. You go out in the woods, you're a hunter, or you like to go out and camp, and you're in areas that have no facilities at all, right. you know. But most of us do not have to. Uh, deal with the basic human realities that people did for billions of years or hundreds of millions of years, I should say. Right. And I, I mean, it's, it's getting cold in Philadelphia. It's, it's very cold today. I, I mean, I'm not quite sure how cold, but it certainly felt cold when I was outside. And it's like, imagine if I had to go outside every time to take a leak. Oh, man. We had a, an inch or two of snow in Seattle, which is a snow, snowpocalypse for us. Um, so they shut down. No, I'm kidding. It, me- it mostly melted, but they start the schools two hours late uh, because the bus routes, we have very steep hills. So whenever it snows, um, they don't, can't really send the buses up. They run snow routes, and uh, it's sort of a safety for that rather than, like, you know, the streets are impassable since right. they don't want to have – having bus plunge is not a headline you want to see. <laughs> really bad. <laughs> Did you ever watch Deadwood? I didn't. I heard it was fantastic. I think it came out when I had small children, so I never really got... Oh, and you had to have... That was on HBO, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was on HBO from yeah, 2004 I mean, to 2006. I missed. I, I bought HBO now, where I'm subscribing specifically to watch uh, Westworld. So oh. uh, in those days, I would have had to pay the cable thing. You can probably oh get Deadwood then, right? I think that the oh, HBO right has there. keeps most of their old shows in there. Yeah. It, I, this, it's, you have to know this going... I, think, I thought it was a marvelous show. I really loved it. Um, I was a big fan. It was created by a guy named David Milch, who um, was, I guess, it was like before people called showrunners showrunners, but he was the guy behind NYPD Blue, which was back in the 90s, probably the first serious TV show that I ever really fell in love with. Uh, And it was weird because it was a network show, and I guess it was fairly cheap to produce, and it went on forever and ever, long past when it was, and I kept watching because I liked it enough, but... It, it sort of NYPD Blue sort of ended with a whisper because it just oh it just yeah was, that was the worst thing. It was, just... I mean, it was on for like ten years or something like that. But uh, but it was a great show and still had you know there was enough good in in the characters to you know make there, there were a couple of episodes a season that were always good. But it was it was kind of hard and it on on a, it was on ABC and those ABC shows had to do like twenty two shows a year, which is too much. Like part of the secret of the modern resonant or, or uh, renaissance in like movie quality TV shows is that they only do like ten episodes at a time, and sometimes not even once a year. It might take eighteen months to get the next ten episodes out. Mm-hmm. There's a sort of quality instead of quantity aspect to these HBOs and Netflix. Oh yeah, we and- season two of Westworld is coming out in 2018. Right. But although I think isn't there a little sequential thing like they sort of they played a little by ear. I don't know when they got the renewal request, but I believe right. Westworld has been I think one of the most popular shows. I mean, I'm sure Games of Thrones swamps it, but uh they I think they are okay at HBO. Um they're very good about funding things with no strings attached, I've heard. I mean, right. I keep reading about how they're such a they're an amazing organization by just saying they don't throw money at something, but they trust right. um 
they trust people, right? Um, but they, I don't think they gave them the dollars for season two or really fully committed until it was underway. And the showrunners, it's uh, Nolan and Joy, are saying, um, we need time to do this right. They had to stop production twice to do some retooling. I think once was kind of tool up and the other was to sort of rejigger because they realized they'd gotten some mechanics uh, wrong and they wanted to fix those, which is admirable. And they had the freedom to do that, which is incredible. And then narrative, they the- narrative mechanics? That's <clears throat> great. What did you so, mean so by we- mechanics? Oh, oh! I think oh, world mechanics. Apparently, they built a they had built the world. I mean, they it's really clear watching the whole season that they really understood what it was about. They had an arc. They had a circle. Right. They had there are time bombs in episode one that pay off in ten and aren't right. referred to in the interim. So I trust them having watched it. But I think they had the freedom to go back and say, you know, we thought the world was going to work. I mean, this is what they said. It's right. something along the lines of we thought this is how the world worked, and then we realized. That changed, but in episodes, I think it was one to three, or maybe it was a little even more, they had elements that were now wrong inside their ecosystem. So they mm-hmm. reshot and fixed them so they were consistent. And I'm thinking, how wonderful they did that, had the time to do it, that that's the conscientiousness they had. What an incredible thing. And I'm sure the show benefited from it, because otherwise, especially with the level of attention it got, can you imagine by episode five, people's like, no, well, excuse me, yeah. but in episode three, they bled from the left. And right. uh, we know that's not true in Westworld. Yeah. I'm actually... Uh- <laughs> Anyway, West. Uh, the thing about Deadwood, <laughs> to go back one digression, was that Deadwood wound up getting canceled before, and, and they didn't even have time to give it a proper like final. Episode. Oh no! Oh. So it just sort of ends. So it, it's. I I want to warn anybody before they get into it that it's a very <laughs> dissatisfying ending. It's like you don't don't go into it looking for any kind of complete loop on any of the characters or anything. You just kind of have to take it for what That's it is. Right. But anyway, Deadwood was a, a western. Took place in uh, based on real real people actually uh, in Deadwood, South Dakota, and it was a bit. It was probably the grittiest western I've ever seen, where there was some shit on the streets, you know, and and they showed people you know urinating out in the middle of the street and stuff like that. And a baroque swearing, I heard. I heard just endless, oh, incredible, eloquent obscenity. Yeah, yeah it's the it's probably the greatest uh, <laughs> Al Swearingen. He's based on a real character, a, a real real person. But it was that's he, great. It's the f- filthiest mouth I've ever heard. It was poetry. Uh, oh man. Uh, uh so. I guess I don't want to spoil Westwood. You can't can't really talk details about it. You can talk but uh generally, I, I think. I thought it was I, I really enjoyed it a lot. And I'm actually up to episode there's ten episodes in the season. I'm actually up to episode three rewatching it. Oh, that's good. I haven't gone back. I've watched some episodes twice when they came out and I haven't rewatched the whole um thing. Uh Kelly Guimont and or and uh, uh Don Melton have a podcast actually, hmm. uh called um was it Hello from the Uncanny Valley? It's now on the Incomparable mm-hmm. Network. But they've done, they did episodes, they started a little late. They did a bunch of episodes about the show, and now they're going to rewatch and do more episodes about it because we've got a whole year to kill. Yeah. Uh, so they'll be doing more. But It's, it's um, one of those things like The Usual Suspects where when you rewatch it and you know future plot twists, and then you watch and you're like, oh, they totally set that up. 
It's there's so many like moments like that in the first few episodes that play completely differently. Just throwaway lines, and it's it's all of a sudden it, it, it the first time watching it, you didn't even notice the line of dialogue, but then the second time, it gives you chills. It's like whoa, that's creepy because you it's, know things yeah. that you didn't know them. It's that layering. It's like I think you can tell when something. Um, this is always my thing. I actually feel this way about software too, is you can tell when stuff is rich and deep when people go back. And I mean, it works, it works in literature. It works in, um, filmed entertainment. It works in software. There's the discovery and there's the richness. So you go and you look at something and you find out that what you thought was a certain depth is deeper and deeper because they went and they layered, they went back around and around and around. And, you know, you could overwork stuff too, like a bad cook, you know, bad dough and you're baking. But, um, if it's done right, the richness, kind of like comes up from the bottom and the more you pay attention, the richer it becomes. Yeah. Do you think you would like to, like if you were in that future, would you like to go on vacation to Westworld? It's a great question. Because right, this is the, um, you know, are you William or are you, uh, I don't want to give any spoilers away, are you um, another character in the show? Other many characters. Like, I don't know that I would because I think this is the, um, I think people have different amounts of dopamine in their brain, right? There's different ways of expressing dopamine and, uh, and other chemicals that give us happiness. And um, there's people who get great joy in their life out of uh, like doing ice cliff climbing, right? And I don't need that. I have this kind of natural brain chemistry I'm very fortunate to have where I think I am not far off the when I when I have a success in my life or I'm doing something that I really enjoy doing and I'm feeling very good about my performance doing it, I think I achieve maybe 90% of ice cliff climbing. I don't really need that extra 10%. <clears throat> excuse me. And some people um it's not even thrill seekers. It's more like a way to achieve a certain state of like advanced happiness requires doing something extreme. And I think Westworld is that it's a great representation of that because um you know right now that used to be something like, you know, just to say, it's like people go to Thailand or they go to other places where there was a, you know, a demimonde or really off the grid kind of quality and they can pay for anything they want. They can do things. They might be able to harm other people that go do bare knuckle fighting and worse. Um, Westworld is kind of an encapsulation. It's like a cleaned up version of it where, you know, it's not giving anything away to say that there are robots called hosts who look very, very human. They're Android. They're indistinguishable, essentially. And you can do stuff to Androids. It doesn't count, right? You're in this other place. It's, you know, what happens in Westworld stays in Westworld. And I don't think I have that desire to... I, I like the idea of being able to step outside myself into a different time. If I was going to explore, like, something like Colonial Williamsburg that was Westworld quality and I right. was part of the story, that sounds interesting. But I don't really have the desire to leap into a less controlled environment. Um, there's actually a series of books uh, called uh, starts with the Many Colored Land by um, Mary or uh, was it Lemay? I'm blanking on the name. I'll see if I can find it. But the uh, uh, it's a future where again this isn't a spoiler because it's explained in the first few pages. The um, it's a a future beyond ours in which things are much more advanced and totally civilized. And there's a small galactic community of different species that um, interact very well. And it's very boring and there's no risk and people are deathly boring. And someone discovers a tiny portal to the past. It's a one-way portal. takes you six million years into the Pleistocene, I think. And the idea is that when you walk through it, you'll never come back. There's no way to return. Hmm. So a lot of people, they actually, governments tries to repress it. Then they set it up as kind of an exile thing. People who really want a totally uncontrolled experience, they're not allowed to take technology back, just their own knowledge, and they go there. And it was it's actually a really beautiful exploration of that same kind of thing. Like, Westworld is that. Like, all right, I want to go someplace where the normal rules don't apply, but there are no consequences. 
Um, oh, Ju- Julian May. I'm sorry, is her name. Hmm. I would would not- you go to Westworld is my question. Do you want a Westworld experience? I, I, it's a very close call for me. I, I, I'm not, with no no joking I, I I I have no desire to have uh sexual intercourse with an android no matter how uh uh realistic for the same reason that cuz if if they're not super realistic it's gross and if they're indistinguishable from humans it's indistinguishable from cheating on your wife exactly I, I don't right, right. I, I you know I, I so the going back to have sex with the robot hookers, no, I, I robot I, hooker coming through, right? But yeah. but they're very nice. So I might I might chat them up at the bar because they're very they're all very good talkers. I, I would I would enjoy having a drink with Maeve. Um, but that part now, uh, you know, here's a secret I've read by reading accounts of sex workers. Sex workers say they spend a lot of time talking to their clients. They're there are some sex workers who say most of the regulars, they don't actually have any form of sexual contact with them. They just need somebody they can pay to talk to, and they don't want to go to a therapist, and right. they have a long-term relationship where that's that's the case. So, so that would be totally within the scope, I think, of the Westworld yeah. design. Yeah. I just want to go and talk to an intelligent robot about whatever with no holds bar. Right. <laughs> and... I would. I like to go back and have like an adventure where I uh, go out with a crew and and try to catch a bandit and you know shoot him dead, knowing that you know if I get shot, it's more like getting hit by a paintball type thing. I maybe. I think when I was younger, definitely, because I used to. Uh, you know, I was never serious about it, but I've played paintball a couple of times and had fun doing it. Um, at, I don't know that I at age forty three. I don't know my my <laughs> my time for stuff like that is is maybe over. Skydiving, uh, and but West it also World seems like the there's best. other people there who are just sort of exploring, right? Remember the family that that uh, there was a, a black family with a small child who met um, Dolores down by the river oh, one time. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like there are people who go there not to for any kind of debauchery but just you know like a family vacation like let's go right i do think i think that that it's a very thoughtful show uh there were and i i regretted it to some degree where i started reading the um oh the the wrap-up shows that go into detail and people taking screen captures there was one point where they have these ipad like devices which i think were pretty well done they're they're very thin but not quite see-through, but they also are like trifolds, like a trifold wallet. So they mm. kind of fold oh, up. Oh, yeah. They fold up to be like a, maybe like a like an iPhone Plus type thing, and then you can unfold it twice and get more of an iPad style thing. Uh, and somebody took a screen capture at one point of one of them that, that, that seemed to say that the show takes place in 21, the 2150s or 2050. Oh. Or something. I wasn't paying attention to that. Interesting. Uh, or 2050? Uh, 2050 I don't know. sounds more reasonable because, well, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. But 2050, because you're looking at what the culture is of the employees, but the employees right. are really sequestered at the park. They seemingly right. all live there, or that's where they, you know, they don't seem to go anywhere else. Right. I think that, I don't know if the screenshot really indicates, yeah. I don't know. You know, I think they do pay attention to details. Who knows if that's right. But I think gut feeling wise, that's when the show, t- it, it clearly isn't like, super far in the future but it's clearly significantly beyond where we are yeah uh i like the computers i like the presentation of technology 
in it. And oh, you know, the thing that I think is the best telling detail they got right is the way Anthony Hopkins controls androids. Mm. Did you love that? Yes. That it's subtle. Yes. That he does one finger or yes. he just says, that's enough now. And he can say it in a normal tone of voice. Right. It's like a Siri thing. He doesn't have to say, uh, Android 75, halt action and proceed to program 5B, which is what I feel like everything in the 1970s would have been. <laughs> I saw a funny cartoon on Twitter the other day where, where somebody, it was just, somebody was talking to somebody else and they didn't like where the person was going and they just said, analysis. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, Shannon Woodward, who is one of the cast members of the show, who I follow on Twitter, and uh, without giving any spoilers, uh, the, one of the interesting things in the show is you get to the end of season one, you're like, whatever happened to, like, did they really? So there's people, we don't know who has contracts for season two, right. but there are clearly things planted that make it clear. And if you go, there's a Westworld, uh, a site for Delos, the, parent, the company that apparently yes. owns Westworld, and there's details being revealed. Like, they must have a, a one-year-plus social media like marketing plan because they are yeah. already like leaking stuff and you have to go through it's like a little online adventure stuff and right. um so shannon woodward um posted this very funny thing she plays uh elsie in the show is one of the behavioral technicians works directly for uh, one of my favorite characters yeah she's great she's great and i you know again no spoilers I, I loved her early in the season and um she's also a very righteous person on twitter so great to follow because she's very um active in promoting for you know things like justice and equality. Uh, but she tweeted something last night. She said, my dad, who was a real programmer, was excited to see how Siri had been updated. He said to Siri, analysis. And Siri dumped out a bunch of hacks. And her father, I think her father recognized it, or what did he say? He went to Reddit. It's um, Unicode text. And if you look it up, it's a bunch of emoji that relate to the show. Really? <laughs> yeah. If you, if you say to Siri, if you say... Um, you can ask Siri questions that are sort of Westworldish related, and she will respond and say things like, "That doesn't look like anything to me." Huh. So they That's... updated it right away. I think I don't know what happened earlier, but people weren't reporting on it. And then after the finale, um, uh, Don Melton was saying, probably a Westworld fan, you know, super fan, somewhere in the Siri team, adding more responses. But the the he the hexadecimal uh, emoji code was pretty good. I only looked up one of them. Who I, I says right Siri? Who says Siri isn't getting better? <laughs> That's great. One of them was just like a cactus. I didn't look up all of them, but I looked up one. <laughs> uh, let me take a break and uh, thank our first sponsor. It is our good friends at MailChimp. 12 million people use MailChimp to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce business every day. Uh, personalize your marketing. You can sell more stuff. When you connect your store to one of MailChimp's hundreds of e-commerce integrations, you can create targeted campaigns, automate helpful product follow-ups, and send back-in-stock messaging. They have done this is like a huge thing. Like it's MailChimp has grown so far beyond just like email newsletters. Um, the store stuff is amazing. I can't get into the details in the sponsor read here, but it's so much stuff, and they really hook up to a lot of the main. Um, e-commerce platforms that are out there. So if you do have some kind of store, what they can do is help you for people who opt in to like uh, uh, an email thing from you is based on what the people have bought and opted into, not like a creepy type thing, but send them emails that they might actually want to get with stuff they might actually want to buy. It is super, like there's like a renaissance in email newsletters. Um, Cause I think, you know, 
back in the day, people signed up for everything was going through email because that was like the first way people got on the internet. And then all of a sudden, everybody realized I'm getting way too many emails for stuff that I don't want. And it kind of got a bad rap. But then it's like water seeks its own level. And I, I feel like there is a right amount. And there are a lot of newsletters, a fair amount that I sign up for that I love. And I'm happy every time I see them in my inbox. Uh, MailChimp is a way that you can create your own. So the store stuff, that's great if you have a store. Um, all sorts of other great reasons. It integrates with WordPress. You can integrate with Facebook. Uh, Shopify, there's one that integrates with an online store. Uh, all sorts of ways that you can hook MailChimp up to whatever platforms you're already using for whatever kind of thing that you want to send people to. Um, pricing. You can send 12,000 emails a month to a list of up to 2,000 subscribers with MailChimp's forever free plan, though a few features are only available to paying users. So you can send an awful lot of email to a lot of people for free with MailChimp. Um, as a paying customer, you can send more, more than 12,000 emails a month. You can access additional features, and you can remove MailChimp's badge from your campaign footers. Um, so what do you, where do you go to find out more? Just go to MailChimp.com. No secret code, no, no slash or anything like that. Just go to MailChimp.com, and you can get started. Great service, longtime sponsor of the show. Uh, they always sponsor the, the bar at the uh, live talk show. So my thanks to MailChimp for once again sponsoring the show. Wow, they're, they're brave. That's a very brave thing to do, sponsoring the bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first time, I've often said this, and I do the intro at the show, I have such very nice the daring fireball audience is is very good people and the first time I did the live talk show um uh well it was the second time I guess because it was the first time at the 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 place where we always have it now in San Francisco um a place called mezzanine oh yeah and, and we had a, a minimum and it seemed easily hit. Uh, the first year we did it, though, we didn't hit the minimum for the bar because oh. people. I th and I think what happened was that I said that it's an open bar and 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 it's you know free, but I didn't emphasize enough that seriously, drink as much as you want, like go have a second or a third. Oh, I think oh, that that's I, sort of sweet. People I think were that, so reserved, right? People were like, "Well, I'll oh. have one, but I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to stick Gruber with a big tab." But it was. <laughs> We actually didn't reach the minimum. So ever since I always tell that story to the audience, you know, like seriously drink, and we've we've never had problems hitting the minimum. Again. That's that's pretty. That's adorable. That is a very lovely audience. When you have to encourage them to spend, right. to, you know, to use the money that sponsors and, and they have buy. different um, tiers of booze. Like you could just do beer, beer and wine. You can, you know, um, it, you know, you could, it, but I get the top shelf booze. You know, like the name brand. You know vodka and stuff like that like instead of you know uncle joe's you know <laughs> uncle joe's russian special <laughs> you know uh like i'd say you know whatever you want if it's back there it's supposed to be there have as much of it as you want and and mailchimp will just pick it up <laughs> yeah it's very easy for <laughs> uncle, me to be generous too uncle and, joe's booze <laughs> i like it. the fire's bathtub gin money will buy <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, it's funny though. It's gotten the other way around now. Like, there's, it, it, it's like I think when we were kids, like, like if the gin was made locally, it's like, 
watch out, you know, it's like better schedule a trip to the eye doctor because you might go blind. Whereas now there are so many craft distilleries. uh, uh, I can't even tell you. I was just looking the other day. There's a section in the liquor store here where it's like made in Pennsylvania. And there's so many, so many uh, gins being made in Pennsylvania now. And they all have like these amazingly exquisite uh, designed labels. You know, they all look excellent. It's not, you know, like the local stuff is expensive now. It's not... It's not. <laughs> oh, man. I had a friend who wanted to start years ago. Like, I think it was almost 20 years ago. He wanted to start a local craft distillery as a distill pub. No such thing existed in Washington State. He had been a brewer, had run, you know, brew pubs and worked in, in breweries, had, you know, done the craft thing. He was totally capable of it. And the state didn't know how to license it. But he was trying to buy this uh, bar in the Georgetown area in Seattle, which is this little weird spot that. Uh, bars operated during prohibition. There was this very weird exception or exclusion or scam or something. So it was like mm. the longest operating bar in North, continuously operating bar in North America. He was almost, he was going to try to buy it with investors to turn it into the state's first distill pub and one of the first ones in the country, I think, maybe at the time. Mm. And it couldn't pull it off because no one knew how to license it. But now right. it's like, I don't know if you have, no, there are distill pubs. I've seen places, I don't yeah. know what they, they call it, sorry, distill pub is not the right word. But I know um, what you mean, though. Place that's a Unix dist- command, distill right. pub. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, but I mean, places that are doing like certain kinds of liquor on site, which is, which is, I think that's really cool. It's like, you know, this is, we're trying to, we, we sort of, Westworld is indicative of this, right? There are things about the 19th century that we idealize and we'd like the right. neat, clean, cool component of it because it seems more real to us. Yeah. Um. It's just another one of those little things, though, that makes me feel like I was born at the right time. Yeah. I, 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 I've, I don't know. Yeah. I, maybe that's it's. Maybe it's my personality. Where if whenever I had been born, whether it was the future or further in the past, I it, it just I would have. I have the personality type where I would think I was born at the right time. But just little things like the fact that like, I was around as a kid when computers were super simple, and you mm-hmm. could totally understand in the entirety of how the computer worked as like a twelve year old. Uh, I love that. Like, there's a part of me that is a little jealous that, like, my son is, you know, growing up in a world where, you know, at the age of 12, he's got a MacBook Pro. I mean, it would have been very impressive to 12-year-old John Gruber. But I feel like it was right for me that it was, you know, that I was clacking away on an Apple IIe at school, you know. Yeah, my 12-year-old is, like, programming in JavaScript and, and other stuff. And I'm like, you know, at 12, I was, like, soldering RS-232C ports on my, you know, 8K computer. So I feel bad. I mean, I'll open up a computer to change something out, and the kids freak out slightly. Like, can you really do that? I'm Not like it's illegal, um, but the more like, like, won't that break it? I'm like, no, no, you can actually fix things. It's, yeah. it's sort of a... But- so, you know, in terms of consumable beverages, I, I I like to drink coffee, but I like really, really, really good coffee. And a generation ago, there, there was no such thing. I mean, I, I realized there were some people who kept the art of it alive. But as a mass market product, you know, like people went into the supermarket and bought a, a can of Maxwell. <laughs> that was- I, I think this is the best time in history to be alive for coffee because for most of coffee's history, it was not made well, except right. in limited places if you could get the beans and it was all there. <laughs> like you had to be in right, just the right spot at the right time. But when we were kids, the coffee oh, that Jesus. our parents drank wasn't even made out of our, our- <laughs> Arabica beans. It was. Oh God. It was made out of. It wasn't even really coffee. It was made out of some other like weird cheap bean. Was it ch- were they chicory based or is that something I else? Know. I don't there's, know. There's some difference. Uh, I could ask Marco. I'm sure he. It was a 
But brown. The, cr- I thought they melted brown crayons in water. Well, there's it, drink, the, flavor the basic story is that good coffee from Arabica beans needs a certain kind of climate and a certain right. type of atmosphere, and that's why it tends to grow at the top of mountains and in certain, you know regions of the world where the temperature is right it's very it's very particular about where it will grow well and then there's another type of coffee bean that'll grow anywhere (laughs) and that's like what the coffee of like the the late 20th you know this post-world war ii 20th century america was was made out of because it was super cheap the, the coffee cycle is so funny too. Is uh, our, our mutual friend Tonks, this Tony connects me. He, uh, I met him first. Uh, I think we talked about this in some episode before, but um, yes, like in I 2004, I met him when he was the head uh, roaster at a local coffee shop that had started up that was trying to be more of a community coffee shop again. They're trying to reclaim from Wi-Fi already. And um, I went to my first cupping in the back of that store when I was reporting the story. And then Tony left and you know kind of traveled a bunch and he started his own brand that got sold to Blue Bottle. Yes. Um, and then, uh, you know, and, and he's, 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 you know, he's kicking around doing stuff, but I'm like, now cupping is like such an, a standard thing. Like yeah. it's a thing people expect, like the, the sophistication even of 2004 now seems almost quaint. And when Howard Schultz just announced that he was stepping down to CEO at Starbucks, he did it at the uh, 15th Avenue, I think it's the 15th Avenue roasting place, which is Starbucks new model for a place that is like a roasting center with cuppings and uh, high end coffees and the whole yeah. bit. Like it's now a thing they're commercializing and pushing out as a you know high-end experience as a you know repeatable deal and that's you know that's already where we're at so what's the next refinement like there's got to be like 10 years from now we're going to be looking at that as 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 coarse and quaint i'm sure and you know in the in the evening hours i i I enjoy the occasional adult beverage and it's there's never been a better time i mean it's if you like beer like like when my dad was my age the only (laughs) the only beer that there was was the mass market pilsners you know that's they all tasted the same yeah unless you uh, lived in a small town someplace or people did you know the home brewing thing was was starting up but those were usually they were you know the quirky no this there's never been a there's never been a better time to have a sophisticated palate probably in the history of the world in terms of this ties into technology so you know how mark and Dries and other people have pushed these charts that shows how everyone has the kind of stuff that previous generations would have dreamed of. Everyone has a TV. Everyone has a DVD. A lot of people have phones, even if they're like living below the poverty line. They have a cell phone on a pay-as-you-go pant. Like all of these certain signs of material success. But this is the um, the point that people made about the Apple phone. You have made this point year over and over again. It's the iPhone is the same price no matter how rich or poor you are. And I think the beverage thing falls in the same thing. You can get, I mean, obviously you can spend a lot of money on beverages, but you can spend a few dollars for a drink, let's say five right. to $10 for a drink and get one of the finest drinks ever made in human history. Now you can go up from there. You can spend $15 for civet poop coffee or whatever for a cup of it and and a million dollars for champagne. But this lower tier, generally accessible, even if it's a special occasion price is achievable by like most of humanity in the developed world. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, I think that there was uh, a, I, I don't know, you know, I think there was sort of a pride in in post-World War II America at the sort of homogenation of culture. Mm. And it mm-hmm. seemed right. Like when my grandfather was a young man, all the beer came from local breweries. You know, every town oh, of a certain, yeah. you know, every town with ten to 15,000 people had a brewery that made the beer for the town. And then, in my dad's generation, it 
you know, the, the Anheuser Bushes and the cores became such a thing and, and, you know, TV rammed this home that, you know, you didn't drink like, you know, Philadelphia beer. You drank, you know, the same Budweiser that everybody drank. You drank American beer, you know, and mm. it was all, <laughs> all bland, all watered down for the hey, that taste, right? Metallic, I, metallic taste. In you know, and and the the craft brewing revolution certainly started. You know, I was in college in the late nineties. It had already started, but it was still obscure. And so, like when you'd go to parties, if they had beer, it was just you know the just cheap bland stuff. So I just thought, I thought, well, I don't like beer, like crazy, <laughs> which is crazy in hindsight because I love beer, but I love very particular kinds of beer. And and I just also think that it's such a, a wonderful world right now for somebody who truly is obsessive about something like that, like Tonks, and that he can just go and start his own coffee company. Like whereas like in the nineteen sixties that that's not how it worked. Infeasible. You, you had to be like uh, Procter and Gamble. You know, you need it was like a billion dollar thing, you know, you, you couldn't there was no way for somebody, you know, like two people, you know, to start a business where we're gonna you know, send coffee around the, the world by mail order. There's a, a great book by an editor I've worked with for years at The Economist. Uh, he's now the deputy, deputy editor, uh, Tom Standage, called History of the World in Six Glasses. It's um, might be like a decade old now. And he looks at its um, beer, spirits, coffee, tea. Uh, what is the other one? There's like – I forgot all six. Uh, tea and, it's tea and coffee, beer and spirits, and I forgot the other two. But it's, it's basically a history of how civilization advanced through the perpetuation of certain kinds of drinks. Because what was the name of, how, of this book? A History of the World in Six Glasses. Huh. And it's six different uh, things. But like tea – is an amazing thing because it's got antibacterial properties. Mm -hmm. it, you boil the water to drink it. It replaced the small beer, which is like a very low alcohol beer that was drunk, that was given out to factory workers in England and other places. They were given a certain quantity of beer to drink every day. And it was very low alcohol, right. but they were always mildly you know, inebriated. <laughs> Tea right. was a healthful beverage. Right. And it revolutionized factories because people Foc were- Focuses the mind. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but people were living in places with bad water supplies, you know, whatever. So it improved health. So it was healthy, it was antibacterial, and it didn't get you drunk. And so right. it became the beverage of temperance and so forth. And anyway, it just it's a, a lovely book because he, he argues and very persuasively that certain um, – like the advancement of society isn't – it's not that we got tea because um, we're at a certain point in civilization where it's possible to have like a global supply chain. It's more like tea actually influenced the Industrial Revolution significantly, hmm. which is cool. Fascinating. Uh, <laughs> I have long I, – I, it's one of those things where I've never really done the deep dive, but I, I will at some point and get a couple of – find a couple of good books on it and, and – uh, and really go deep on it, but I, I, you know, I have a fascination with uh, uh, the prohibition in the United States. Oh yeah, because it's it's another one of those things where it happened. It's seeming, you know, I knew the basic years of when it happened, you know, around 1920 or so, and it only lasted about 12 years, and um, you know, it led to the, the rise of you know, gangsters who'd run booze into the cities and Al Capone, blah, blah, blah. But it's, as a kid, it just seemed like, well, that was a long time ago and it's over. Um, but then uh, when you become an adult and you realize just how, you know, that the a uh, hundred years ago really isn't that long, right. No. In some ways. And you, it, it just fascinates me. Like <laughs> how in the world did making 
alcohol illegal ever gain popular support that it would that they'd pass a constitutional amendment like to pass a constitutional amendment something has to be overwhelmingly popular like you, you know what it was it was fake news john <laughs> it was fake news well, it it's, but it's mother, like mothers spread these, uh, you know, the lies about drinking were spread and believed. In light of our recent election here in the United <laughs> States and how the fuck did this happen, it, 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 it's soothing to me mentally to think back to other times where, you know, there were <laughs> what the fuck we were cycles. we thinking moments in U.S. politics. And we have cycles. Hey, we're, we're about to have our first teetotaling president and I don't know how long. That's you an know, interesting thought. I that's he, that's he doesn't drink, and right. I, you know I reflex like um, Trump has no vices except lying, and he's lying about that, right? right. But he um, he he said he didn't drink, so I assumed it was a lie. It turns out he's absolutely sincere. People have said they've seen him drink in the past, but it may have been decades ago, and there have been confirmation. People have been with him, yep. you know, enemies and friends, and people who are former. Um, friends, like he doesn't drink alcohol. He doesn't seem to have any alcohol, which is, and it's not a. He doesn't seem to be a moralistic thing. His brother, I mean, yeah, he had an he older family history. He had an older brother uh, who, you know, literally a, a long time ago, I guess, it's a drunk in the early eighties. Yeah, he died, but yeah. he, you know, pretty drunk much himself, drank himself to death. To death. Right, yeah. And I'm so, I mean, you, you know, you can see that. Like there, there are signs of Trump, like things like that, that I think maybe the man has some empathy, compassion, or at least insight self-corrective capability um but it, but it is fascinating it is fascinating to have a president who i mean not, i don't know how much obama drank i think he liked the beverage we know he indulged in some cigarettes before he was elected and then no he smoked he, he didn't quit till after he was elected <clears throat> oh that's Smoking. right and then and then occasionally like, there's there's report maybe he sneaked a cigarette here and there right the site um but he's mostly quit stuff thing but uh it's um Trump being a teetotal, I don't think it'll have any impact. I don't yeah. think he's going to go out. He does not. He's never been a, a temperance advocate. But I think he. When I've read things, here's the weird thing about that. This guy, right? There are times that I read things he says, and I go, "But this is very reasonable." And I've read things he said in some lo middle of long interviews about his brother, and yeah. um, sometimes he's a little harsh about it, but often he is very sympathetic to what the brother went through and very sympathetic to what it, the effect it had on the whole family and yeah. and how sad it was he died young. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, I like to know. There is a human being under there. He somewhere, is a bit of a cipher. It is one of the yeah. weird. I mean, whether you you know again, whether you like him, don't like him, or, or somehow are indifferent. Um, <laughs> a very small he, percentage of Trump voters are actually celebrating, from what I can tell. They're all concerned what's coming next. One of two because they don't know if he's going to do what they promised him either. One of the odd. Well, he's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one of the odd things about him, though, is that he does. He, he does. His personality seems to be a bit of a cipher uh you know whereas obama i think wears his personality on his shirt sleeve much like yeah. uh bill clinton and i i think too george w bush i uh, think also yeah i think that's right you know i think hillary is guarded famously but there are widespread reports though from her close the people who are close to her that in person she's very warm funny and and empathetic but on the campaign trail for what it, you know reasons that we won't get into because it's you know but there she you know she publicly put up sort of a a a more serious guarded personality but yeah, i'm wondering if we'll see we'll probably see uh the the hillary in the woods photos right. uh give me life because right. she looks like a great weight was dropped right. off her despite what's coming but next you never and, hear you never hear stories about like 
the real Trump from the people close to him. Like there doesn't seem to be one. There but the, yeah, there's but, no there's no real Trump. The but Trump, talking about his older brother really does. It, it, I, I do believe I, I'm with you. Where 99 percent of the stuff out of his mouth I don't believe. But when he talks about his brother, it seems sincere that he you know and that it really did you know he saw what happened and he he decided I'm not going to drink. And the other thing that's very self aware about it that I saw the New York Times had a good story about this early, way earlier in the campaign was the other thing that he said about it was it wasn't just well I saw what happened to my brother and decided not to drink he also very self-aware said i also know that i'm not much for moderation personally you know it's <laughs> amazing from him wow uh you know and look like look at the way he decorated his home <laughs> yeah well he also occasionally like the unguarded trump is fascinating because he's he's uh, you know a bully and a fascist in certain ways and then he says things like um, when it came up about uh, transgender bathroom bills, like in North Carolina and elsewhere, his first reaction, someone asked about it. He said, well, people should go to whatever bathroom they're comfortable with. Right. And I was like, well, that's cool. Like, I'm good with that. And then his campaign walked it back and wrapped right. it and put it into Republican phraseology and, you know, whatever. But um, his first reaction, you know, is people should just make whatever choice they want for themselves. It doesn't really affect other people, which you could argue is a little bit of a narcissist choice too. But it was a more, that was his honest reaction. I'm like, I'm curious how much of that kind of blunt honesty we're going to see versus the, the you know, the tendencies towards much worse behavior. I'm not optimistic per se, but I'm, I'm trying to be curious because we will see things that are going to be totally unexpected from a Republican elected president. They're going to not conform with any right. of my, my wife says, <clears throat> she said this a number of times, the reason that we're feeling anxiety, and I think this goes for Trump voters as well. I think there are a number of Trump voters who feel exactly the same way. I mean, some are elated, but I think that's a small percentage compared to the largest number of people who voted for him, is um, she said he defeats our ability to predict the future. We all have a little right. internal prediction capability, and he breaks that, and you feel anxious, and that's also what people talk about with fascism, not not necessarily directly for him, is that fascists and abusive uh, domestic partners and people in those categories, they try to unsettle you, so you never know what's coming next, so you mm. live in a constant state of anxiety, I don't think that's his plan, but I think that's how we feel. That's how I feel, and that's how my wife feels. Right. Um. <laughs> how, about, how, about how about that technology? How about that new power <laughs> dual charger? <laughs> Let's talk about something that we know works. Who says? Who says I'm not good at segways? That's great. So you had a story at MacWorld. I think it just came out yesterday. Wait, wait. I want to interrupt you. I'll interrupt All right. you. Segway. Magic Loop? Did you see about the the ostensibly faked Magic or Magic Leap demonstration? No, tell me well, about it. You, you may want to talk about it. I own all the details, but you know it's a it's one of these new uh, VR things. And uh, Kevin Kelly wrote a really breathless piece earlier this year for Wired. He got a demo. He got to see it, and it's a bunch of super intelligent people involved in it. They're running the lab in Florida, away from Silicon Valley. Oh, it's supposed yeah, to be yeah, yeah. Like next level, like whatever everyone's working on now that's being released in demo. This is the thing beyond it. Is how it's being hyped. Well, they put out a demonstration video, and then it came out that it was actually like a Hollywood produced, or Hollywood style produced video that is not actually reflect any hardware they have already. So I was just thinking, so when you said Segway, I was thinking like, yes, remember how the Segway changed the world? Magic Leap is right up there with it. Sorry, that's my Segway. <laughs> they, there's a some sort of tour here in Philadelphia where you can, I don't know if it's, I guess it's history, historic sites, but the, oh, yeah, the yeah. historic sites are all very close to each other, frankly. But I see them occasionally where there's obvious tourists with helmets on, on segways on a tour, you know, like usually somewhere around eight to 10 of them. Um, there's somebody in the front who's clearly the tour leader. 
Uh, and and they're, it just seems like the dumbest way to get around. <laughs> <laughs> like I do, I'm I love the idea. The fast, I'm fascinated by the idea that that the thing self balances on two wheels. Um, but the segways themselves are so stupid. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's just I just remember the whole the breathless. It's going to change the world. The right. patent filings are amazing. They think the people investing, like Jeff Bezos, think this will be uh, change the way cities are built. Right. I remember it was Steve, a, Steve Jobs trashed it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not surprised. And it's like, eh, and it's a really cool scooter that has certain applications. It's done pretty well. Right. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, but Magic Leap just got me with that. Yeah. You know, like they thought no one was going to figure out it was a faked, you know, or produced demonstration. Uh, do you know what I got? I I, uh, I have the uh, Google Pixel. Yeah, phone, oh yeah, yeah. Pixel phone. Yeah. Um, and I got the VR headset. I forget what the, I, I can't remember what the name of it. They have a day, oh. Daydream. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't used it a lot yet, but it's it's uh, pretty neat. I mean, for I forget how much I paid for the headset, but it wasn't too much. I mean, once you've bought the phone for $800 or whatever it costs, the $75 headset is a neat add-on. Um, it's, it's really pretty good. Although it does, it does, Jonas was really into it, but it, it, it does get hot. It, it eventually, <laughs> it eventually tells you that it, it, it couches it sort of like, uh, remember when the Wii would tell you to take a break? The, the Nintendo yeah, oh, Wii. Yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> it told Jonas to take a break, but it, it wasn't really for his well being. It was because, because the phone had overheated. I needed to to cool down, but it's actually pretty good. The latency is really, really good. Like I was, what I thought was wondering if it would pick up. Um, but I can also completely see why Apple hasn't built such a thing. It's not not ready yet. They want no. the thing. They want the thing. Whatever Magic Leap intends to right. make, which they may not be able to achieve. That's what Apple would prefer. Right. Um, I don't. I, it. it it baffles me that people don't see this in Apple. So I, I, one of the things when people complain about the new MacBook Pros that they're not pro enough, you know, that the, they're not performance heavy enough. Like they're like other companies are making laptops that you can drive, you know, uh, high end VR helmets from. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, well, that's that's of course they are because that's what you know the PC industry always does is build you know whatever you know. You know that's why gaming PCs exist. You know that the PC is for some people. It's just a generic box that you can use it to drive any computing task you want. Mm-hmm. Like that's that is not what Apple does. Apple doesn't make generic boxes that you can make other things from. If Apple's, if Apple's going to make a VR helmet, the the VR helmet itself will be the computer, and it will have the graphics and screen that it needs to be. Oh yes, that as, makes a lot of sense. Right? They're not going to make. Uh, they're not going to work on making the phone into a, a, a jerry-rigged VR screen, even though it's possible. And the Pixel thing is good enough that it's you know it's it's neat, but it's you know you can also it's also it's not Retina resolution. I mean, you can totally see the pixels of the things that you're that you're seeing, um, and it's you know it's just clunky to stick your phone into a helmet. And same way that it's clunky to have a helmet that's literally tethered to a laptop computer. Like Maybe if you hold your watch up really close to your face, it'll simulate. Right. No, <laughs> but no, I think you're right. I think it's unlikely Apple Apple makes uh, an operating system that is 
capable of being adapted to a lot of different circumstances, but they don't make hardware that's as general purpose. I mean, I think that's the MacBook Pro is really more of a niche computer now. It doesn't have the same yeah. general uh, appeal. I thought that I've been saying that about the 12-inch MacBook since it's released. It's not a lot. It's not a like the MacBook Air, which was for a lot of people. The 12-inch MacBook is more particular because it makes you make choices. And if it doesn't fit your needs, then it's not the laptop for you. And the MacBook Pro is much more restrained or restricted than the uh, the uh, previous models of MacBook Pro. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> But speaking of those, <laughs> <laughs> so you you wrote a review this week of this uh, newer tech, New Power, N U P O W E R. I've already got a link in the show notes. New Power. It's a sixty watt power adapter that has two outputs. One of them is a USB A, the old school USB, and then the other one's USB C, and you can use them at the same time. So you could plug this into the wall and then take a your existing like the the cable you charge your phone with, with the US, the rectangular USB-A, plug that in, plug your phone in. And then with like a new 13-inch MacBook Pro or the the just plain MacBook, you could charge that from the USB-C at the same time. Yeah, it's pretty slick. And it comes with a six-foot AC cable. So if you're using your six-foot uh, USB-C charging cable that came with the MacBook or MacBook Pro, you have you know 12 feet suddenly. And if you want that from Apple, you have to pay, A, the adapter is, I think, more ungainly. B, you have to pay, uh, if you don't have one around, you got to pay, uh, I think it's $20 or $90 to get the six-foot extension for the power adapter that comes with your with your uh, Apple laptop. So yeah. I like that. I mean, so right. So it, it's like a cable. It's kind of like an offset. So if you've got a 12-inch MacBook, it's sort of ideal because you plug this in to one port and you plug in your you know iPad or iPhone to charge via the new power thing. And you also have six foot of cable beyond that. So you can have your cable, you know, your type A to whatever cable and your laptop cable and a long AC cable. And it's 50 bucks for the whole thing. So it's, I think it's a great uh, replacement or traveling alternative because it seems to fit all these bases. And, and 60 watts is an interesting number because I, it's clear they designed it more around, um, they're like 45 watt uh, uh, PCs that this also works with. It works with anything with USB-C charging uh, power, uh, power delivery 2.0 is the spec, which is a lot of devices. And so the you know, the MacBook, 12-inch MacBook is 29 watts. There's some 45-watt laptops and so forth. The uh, MacBook Pro 13-inch models are 61 watts. Yeah, which is crazy, right? Where, yeah. what? I don't understand that. It's, Apple's very specific about how they like to map batteries to charging, and they right. just do exactly what they want. It's weird. Well, it's the first one I can think of, though, that's such an odd number. Like it, well, the, no, the, the MacBook is a 29-watt charger. Oh, I guess you're right. And, and the MacBook Pro is 87 watts. And somebody told me, I didn't look this up, that the previous MacBook Pro, the 15-inch one, I'm sorry, was also 87 watts. Right. So they have a I mean, very specific power profile. Right. They don't like to make a generic charging thing. Um, so this, the new power is probably not appropriate for a 15-inch MacBook Pro because it will it's really hard for it to keep up if you're doing anything that's pulling power down. Yep. For the 13-inch, it'll keep up almost as quickly. I mean, it's, you know, three percent off right. um so it will charge while you're using it and uh it might charge a tiny bit slower if you plug in a usb type a device to charge it'll take away from the charging going to the usb-c port right. um so if you're charging an ipad at 2.4 amps that's 12 watts at five volts um and that so that'll be 50 you know 12 watts to be subtracted from the 60 if you're doing that and you have a 13 inch macbook but i think in a lot of cases it's a really nice alternative and it's got you know it's not a 
uh, square little thing. It's uh, it's like longer. It looks more like a traditional one, but it's very lightweight and it's got rounded edges. The only thing I, don't, I think I don't like about it though is I don't like that to plug this into the wall. You have to use a cable. It has, you know, it's it's right. one of the. So this is the brick, but it's it, it. You plug a power cable into the back, and then it's a six foot cable that goes to the wall. So like there are some cases, some situations where you do want that, but there's others like when you're like. Like when I'm in a hotel, usually most hotels now have like a desk where there is like a power on the desk. And it's not, you know, like I don't need it. The six foot cable is just going to be in the way there. Like I kind no, of, it's true. I wish that I could just plug the plug it right in, you know, like it had the prongs on the thing. Or it's true. I think that's the, that's the drawback is if that's and if that's what you want, then you can always carry the original one. Right. But um, no, I think that is, that is the drawback because you get extra cable that way without an option. Um, but I think a lot. I I and I have that same issue. Although I'll get to a hotel and by the time I got stuff plugged in or figure out when I work, I'm often hunting around for an AC outlet. Right. Um, and some of them have power strips. I've been in some newer or not newer hotels, but retrofitted right. ones with power strips. But. Right. Or maybe it would be nice if it. You know, again, this would obviously make it a lot physically bigger. So maybe uh, maybe I'm not thinking it through, but it might be nice if it had one of those cables that you could like, it would re retract, you know, like the way like most vacuum cleaners work now, you, you can retract the cable. Oh yeah. We're going to see a lot more use USB-C chargers too. Is yeah. I mean, we're, it's taken the power delivery spec. So I actually interviewed for an article that's going to come out in uh, fast company about USB-C, like why it's so hard to figure out what cables are good. Like why isn't there some group i mean my conclusion spoiler is that the death of magazine test labs is basically why we're having problems with the usbc like mm. it's not so i talked to the head of the usb implementers forum the usbif and the chief operating officer <clears throat> had a great talk about like where does type c fit into the ecosystem and what are you guys responsible for like where does your point end and one of the things the president told me is he said really frankly this is a he said this isn't your grandma and grandpa's USB 2.0. He said it's much more complicated. It's much harder to get it right. And we're seeing more problems because it's a much more complicated and difficult spec. It does so much more. And so they're not surprised, but it's what manufacturers want. It's not like right. the USB IF invented a difficult spec and it's being inflicted on customers. It's like all of, you know, all the major computer and mobile makers are all involved with USB IF or they're on the board or they're deeply involved in the standards process. They wanted this to happen. Ultimately, in a couple years, maybe a year, we're all going to be delighted that we have, maybe we still have lightning, that seems like it's going to happen, but we have one cable and one thing that works every goddamn place, and then new displays will all have USB-C support, and new everything will have it, and we'll say, why do we make such a big deal about this? Because the pain of transition and finding the adapters that don't exist and legacy support is a pain, but I think it's really a net positive um, for it. And so the power part is particularly difficult. There's something called Power Delivery 2.0, which is, as far as I can tell, is the first widespread implementation in products of a non-proprietary, you know, standards-based, but, you know, trade group owned, but non-proprietary spec for doing power that's above like 15 to 30 watts. Hmm. I mean, it can go up to 100 watts. There are previous USB specs that allowed this, but from what I can tell, I don't know that many devices use them. They're very specific and you need a specific adapter. This is the first generic way that's already in, you know, millions or maybe even tens of millions of shipping products that supports above, you know, 12 or 15 watts in a standard way and interoperable, interchangeable adapters. So the ecosystem, I think, is about to sort of like the chipset issue is a big deal. Every, um, John, you know this, right? Like lightning, every lightning and thunderbolt two cable had a computer in the tip of every cable, right? Right. 
Um, and so the same that. thing is true with USB-C, and that makes it more complicated. It's all USB-C is like you're plugging a computer that looks like a cable into your computer's port that has a controller, and they have to talk to each other. And so like getting that right means the controller chipsets and the USB-C cable chipsets all have to be in this incredibly perfect alignment. And that is, I think, what's been taking so long, and we're starting to finally see the benefits of it, you know, already like a, almost two years into the rollout. And uh, next year will be very different. Is I my think suspicion. one of the underestimated, <clears throat> easily overlooked, but fascinating to me, things that's going on in hardware everywhere today, if, whether you're in the consumer electronics business, in the car business, everything uh, is that every individual component is slowly but surely turning into its own to being a computer. Oh my God. I know. Right. No, you're totally and, right. And, and I know Joanna Stern and I talked about this on about the Mac, about the touch bar, but it's fascinating to me. It yeah. just is. I, every time I look at this review unit and I just think about it, it just pleases me to no end that the touch bar is an iOS computer in my Mac computer. Like I, I find it just makes me smile. I just, it just cracks me up because oh. like I, just like we were talking about having an hour ago, like when we were kids, like a computer was super expensive. <laughs> like, and, and it had, you know, it, you'd get like 64 kilobytes of memory and it was enough Luxury. money. <laughs> right. And, but, you know, that and the, it was um, a lot of money and you had to be very careful and it was quite large. <laughs> and now, but, now there's, <laughs> there's, there's a much better computer than that in the tip of your lightning cable. Yeah. The analog to lightning adapter has a GSP in it. I mean, it's a $9 right. cable, and that computer is probably more powerful than my first personal computer, maybe even my second personal. I mean, it, it, could it right. do, is it as powerful as a Commodore 64? Maybe not. I'm not sure. But it's certainly as powerful as my first computer. In some ways, it, it surely is. There are certain, yeah, know, some aspects of it that are surely faster and, you know, than a Commodore 64. It's crazy. Well, this is like storage. Like, how many terabytes of storage do you own, do you own now, personally? Like, 10? I or, don't even know. You don't even know. I have at least, I don't know, I've got seven or eight lying around, maybe more, and I probably got two or three terabytes in the cloud. And we we're going to laugh at how small it is like the right. way that 50 gigabytes seems in ridiculously tiny like i backed up 80 gigs i added more um, um i use uh, backblaze for my uh, desktop machine backup and i'm like oh you know i didn't have this part of this drive backed up so i add it, it says oh that's 80 gigs i got gigabit internet it added it in like an hour or something and I'm like, it just seems so laughably small even though it's enormous and so you know in five years we'll have like 50 terabytes of storage and we won't be thinking about it much either <laughs> Gets bigger. Everything gets bigger, faster, better. Uh, let me take a break, and we'll come back to that because uh, one of the computers in our computers now are the computer that's inside AirPods, which still haven't shipped, and I'd like to talk about that. Oh, but yeah, yeah. I'm going to take a break here and thank our next sponsor, and it's our good friends at Fracture. You know Fracture, it's the photo company that you send them your photos, they print your photos directly on class. They sponsored the show two episodes ago, and I told you then, I told you, order now <laughs> for the holidays because they're going to get backed up. Well, guess what? They're already backed up. Orders placed today are ship after Christmas. Uh, we are recording. You're, you're hearing us record on Friday, December 9th. I'll bet the show comes out on Saturday, December 10th. Um, so whatever point you're listening to me tell you this, if you were going to get people Fracture gifts for Christmas, you had a great idea. And if you didn't order them already, I'm really sorry to tell you that you're too late. But what you can do 
What you can do is you can order gift cards from Fracture. You could give them, you could give out a gift card so that people can print their own Fractures. Uh, and you could do that all the way up to December 19th and still get Christmas delivery. So you could still do it. You're not, you're not totally shit out of luck. Um, these are great, great products. Uh, so again, if you're thinking about it for Christmas, too late. Hope you listened to me last time. Some of you probably did. Um, but it's such a great product. Holiday aside, Fracture is just, it's just the best way. It really is. I, I would say this even if they weren't a, a longtime sponsor of the show. But if you want to print your photos, it's the best way to do it. Because it, you don't, there's no fuss. And they look great. It looks better than putting it on paper and then putting it into a traditional frame. It looks better and it's easier to deal with because like if you've ever done the thing where you like, you know, go to Ikea and get a picture frame and then you have a picture printed out and you put it in and then you secure the back and then you look at the front and the picture's off by like two degrees and you've got to undo the whole thing and put it back in and what a pain in the ass. Uh, fractures are just printed right on the glass and they ship in this super clever little cardboard thing that comes with everything you need to hang it on a wall or to prop it up on your desk or on a mantle or wherever you want to put it. And it looks so cool because it's just this edge to edge design. There, there is no frame that's necessary. It's just a piece of glass with the picture edge to edge looks so great. Um, so go check them out. Uh, get your own pictures printed, uh, pick up some gift cards if you want to for the holidays and you haven't ordered already. And go to FractureMe.com slash podcast. That's the name. That's the URL. They don't care which podcast. It's everybody's podcast gets the same URL. But then when you order, they ask a one-question survey, which is where did you hear a Fracture from? And you can tell them you heard about it right here on the talk show. My thanks to Fracture. Told you it's going to be – they're going to get backed up. Listen to me next time. Love their stuff. I need to order some, but I didn't need them for presents, so I gotta, I'm going to remember that. So AirPod, URL. AirPods still haven't shipped. As I said, we are recording on Friday, December 9th. And you know, so, it's like HBO and Westworld. They had to stop production. They had to re-engineer the world to Apple, make it consistent. Apple is, and- they're getting very close to, being, to missing the holidays. I have heard just in the last 24 hours, I have heard not from like a very well-placed little birdie, but from a birdie. That there's a possibility that there are whispers in Apple among people who work in Apple retail that they might actually come in quote unquote the next few days. Oh but my God. nobody has. But the I, and I asked and I was like, well, is it like a token amount? Like, well, some of them are coming and we're going to sell them to some people, but you've got no chance of actually getting one because they're going to be instantly back ordered six to eight weeks. Uh, is it that type of shipping or is it like? You you have a reasonable chance of getting them, you know, walking into an Apple store and walking out with AirPods. And the answer was no idea. This is, in my opinion, the the biggest Apple screw up in recent memory. I I gotta I gotta agree because uh, it so. Let me. I'm gonna. The bump only thing up I can compare. Yeah. I'll compare yeah. it to one other thing, and I think that this is worse. Is oh, yeah. the uh, the I think it was the the white iPhone four. Oh yeah. So when the iPhone four came out, yes. that was the one with the glass front and back, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that was the one that didn't ship right, and and it it kind of got lost, I think, in the shuffle. 
of antenna gate because that was the phone that had antenna gate that's right it was supposed to there were black ones and white ones and the white ones are initially you know the black ones came out like in june uh, on schedule and then apple said something to the effect of we're having a little problem with the white production we expect them in july uh like one month late and july came and went and then antenna gate hit and everybody remembered that but the white iphones didn't ship until like may the next year april or may like almost a full year and i remember it vividly because my wife wanted to get the white one and she waited and then by the time it got to april or may she was like well the i'm not you know i'm not stupid i'm not going to buy a new iphone now the new ones come out even though the 4s that was when they first moved the schedule back from june to like september so she ended up with her i think she was using her 3gs or whatever for you know two years um but i would say this is a worse mistake because at least with the iphone 4 if you wanted an iphone 4 you could get it you just didn't get it in the color you wanted whereas it's the if you want airpods you can't get them yeah, this is. Uh, I, it seems, it seems bad to introduce something that is a fundamental part of a major change you're making, and then not have the engineering and production in place to release it. it seems like a big uh, f up. I was, I was gonna say, I want to bump up one level, not to avoid the topic, but I mean, there's always this metaphor, like you know, a- Apple is Hillary Clinton. Uh, Samsung is Trump, right? This, you know, without even a political discussion, it's kind of how the coverage went. And so, Apple removes headphones, and you have think pieces and whatever. You you posted something about this other day. Samsung says we're not going to have have a headphone jack. I'm sorry, headphone jack, brother. Samsung says we're not going to have a headphone jack on our next flagship phone. Everyone's like, well, it's just. Samsung, right, of course. And you're like, but wait, but you made so angry. Why were you so angry? Like, it's a technology company. It's a decision. There's all these trade-offs. Why were you so, like, furious? Like, there was white-hot fury about it. And you could argue it's because there's more of an emotional connection with the iPhone, and there are fewer models, and there is not that emotional connection with Samsung. But it is sort of hilarious. But if you're going to take the headphone jack out, and you're going to deal with the repercussion, because you know people have been keyed up to be angry for weeks and months as the rumors are out there, there is something desperately wrong with that. Something very bad happened to reach this point. I mean, because... There's there's, no doubt in my mind. I've I've talked to several people... you know, I can't say with a hundred percent certainty, but I'm as certain as I could be that there was absolutely zero coincidence to the fact that the iPhone seven is the first iPhone without the headphone jack and was introduced alongside AirPods and the right. W one chip. That was completely in coordination. AirPods They wanted to ship simultaneously. AirPods were in development for three years. Uh sort mm-hmm. of engineering and design started three years ago and it was a year ago when they they felt like they were at the point where they can say yes these will be ready in september 2016 therefore we can go ahead with this design of the iphone that doesn't have the headphone jack and you know this that and the other thing are now you know we can make the camera bigger and move the battery down and this you know all the other side effects of being able to remove the headphone jack um was completely in coordination and yes they did not and they knew they knew then apple knew i didn't know but you know apple knew that they were relatively expensive and therefore were not going to be included in the box Mm -hmm. so even though they're not in the box um uh, and cost 150 bucks and therefore it you know which is a lot to pay for headphones you know for by most people's standards um 
and therefore, you know, they know it's not going to be like everybody with an iPhone 7 is going to spend the 150 for AirPods. It was absolutely in lockstep with each other, that they weren't going to ship a phone without a headphone jack without the new wireless AirPods, and they weren't going to ship the AirPods with mm-hmm. a flagship phone that still has the headphone jack. And so I think if Apple knew, if if the, I, I I really do think so. I think if they knew that they were going to be as late as they are, I don't think that they would have removed the headphone jack this year. Well, remember, when you look at the design of the phone, uh, am I wrong? My recollection is after the teardowns came out that both phones have technically have room for a headphone jack. So they must have given themselves and there's a space where it could have gone. So they must have given themselves wiggle room I thought, no. at some I, point. I thought, I thought that, there was room for no, it. Well, I, I guess there's our, a space where it could be. Well, maybe I'm wrong. I was wondering how much wiggle room they gave them because they have to lock in the circuit board right. design and the and everything else. You know, the phones are locked I, in very far in advance. Like whatever yeah, they're coming so, out with next year is already completely locked in. I feel terrible for whoever on the team, whichever people on the team at whichever levels, from top to bottom, uh, either made an error in judgment or. Just we're ahead of, I mean, this is the thing. So um, this will seem like a sidebar. I'll be brief with it. But, you know, I wrote a piece in March, I think, for Macworld about why you should probably not become a backer of Kickstarter and other crowdfunding projects that are involve mass manufactured items mm. that aren't totally interchangeable and known like a, a book. Like everyone knows how to print a book. Uh, public, you know, brick, book printer could be late, but they don't suddenly say, we don't know how to put ink on pages. We try to put the ink on the pages and the ink fell off. And we have to work with you to develop a new way to put ink on paper because the one you propose doesn't work. <laughs> so that typically right. doesn't happen. It happens constantly in um, the the production of, you know, especially electronics, but a lot of things where, uh, you know, if you follow the folks at Studio Neat, they have a great podcast that Mike Hurley is hosting um, where the the two guys, Dan Provost and um, uh, my blank on his name, and uh, 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 Tom Gerhardt, uh, the two of them, wonderful guys. <clears throat> I've met them so many times, I'd be embarrassed if I get more names. Oh, geez. Well, they're lovely people. They do really good products. They're really interesting stuff they make. And they have a podcast about making their latest thing and talking about it. And it's really fascinating because you get the insight into people who do have a, a you know, a moderate sized company, but not a very big one. Right. And what the constraints are when you're doing all of these manufacturing things. So, uh, uh, I'm just sort of backing it out into the like, like. So I understand from talking to people at sort of Dan and Tom's level, and uh, and some folks in bigger corporations when they'll talk more frankly about like just what happens when you get from that. There's a stage between. I think you've written about it too. There's been people have been written articles about this, of course. Between like prototype and production, there's this thing where you deliver stuff. You work to get something that's closer and closer to what's actually going to go on a production line. Then there's a point in which you make units on the production line and they work, and then you go into this full scale thing in which there's QA and QC for uh, or QC for the products coming off the line right and it's horrible and the fact that any consumer electronics company can produce things routinely on any schedule is always amazing so apple's track record is really good so is note 7 excluded but sort of part of it so is samsung so are a lot of other companies that just produce huge numbers of new models of things well and, even with the note super complicated even with the note 7 the problem wasn't with production the problem was with the design I mean that's right. They d- made a bad right. choice. I mean, yeah. it's, there's. I, I've read enough articles from people no, who've totally right. taken it apart. Like it's everybody's in near unanimous agreement about what's wrong. They put too big of a battery in too small of a space, and yeah, and therefore led to the positive and negative sides touching 
it, no, it you're totally under, right. under and, physical strain. And they, you know, it, the, the postmortem is going to be, they should have realized this in the prototyping stage well in advance of going to production and, and done something about it. But so when I, so, I, you know, you know, all those things, there's this mystery though. This is what I think Dan and Tom get at well in their podcasts and you can read stories about this all over. Like there's this incredible thing about, we know, um, and I think it's one thing that Johnny Ives does really well. It's something that I think Tim Cook, as coming from that deep knowledge of the supply chain and, um, you know, it kind of got him onto the CEO path, understanding how you bring different things together and what is feasible. Um, cousin of mine used to consult on this for high-tech companies where he would look at what they had in the lab. He would look at what their customers actually wanted and he would help them match those things together, what was feasible and what people wanted to turn it into something that was manufacturable or producible. It is an incredible um, art because you're, you're modeling machines in your head that make things on these massive scales. So it's not surprising this happens from time to time. It's just Apple is so good at, in general, executing it that something went deeply wrong when they thought they could make some part of this and it would work 100% of the time and they got to it and they're like, this works 98% of the time. Yeah, it could be as, it's probably as little as that too based on what the reports were. Yeah, secondhand, talking to a friend who has a friend who works Mm -hmm. on the AirPods team, it is, these things are a bitch to manufacture and they knew it was going to be, but there's something, you know, some part of, hey, we've got a, a, you know, I'm holding a pair right here in my hands, and I'm not trying to brag, you know, I, but it's very surprising to me that I here we are on December 9th, and I've got AirPods, and nobody else does. It's that late in the process that a but, problem occurred. You know, I've got right here in my hands proof that there's somewhere there, there's, there was, you know, by September, there was a factory in China that was pushing out very good, right. high-quality AirPods. Um and somehow, though, being able to, to spool that up to, you know, punch out the millions of them that they need to punch out, they've run into something. Um, now, again, well, I've heard that, uh, and this is from a different source, but I've heard that it's possible that by the time you even listen to this, they might be out if you're listening like next week. That, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know that they get pushed out to January. My suspicion, I don't know, something has gone terribly mm-hmm. wrong. My suspicion, based on the fact that they're able to ship units to you and other reviewers, that from generally reported, you know, I think uh, Matthew Panzerino wrote about this, and I think I think you, I forget what your experience has been. They're reliable in your experience, right? They work pretty much if this, the way you expect them to. They don't work perfectly. Uh, uh, they glitch okay. occasionally, but but if 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 this is as good as the AirPods 1.0 are going to get. If it's if if the exact experience that I have had and continue to have with these is exactly what everybody would experience, I would still recommend it wholeheartedly, and I I would describe these AirPods as is, occasional problems included, as my favorite new Apple product. Oh in my years. I well, love so them. My- and my suspicion is this is a QC or quality control problem that they they turned on the volume, they got production units out, they had some yield issues, but they said we can fix the yields units in, yield issues in production. They pulled out the best of them, sent them to reviewers, and then they started turning the dial up. And when they turned the dial up, the yield was so poor on yeah, which I don't know what their the, I think it's is. like that. That's what I yeah, think it is. Because they're that far along. If they're making something they can send to you that is not a one-off item, it is something that came off production line, it has to be – it's not a software issue or yours would be failing all the time too and so would all the other reviewers every once in a while the problems i've seen and they're very similar to what matthew's seen um every once in a while but it's it's actually i I use them all the time uh they're the only headphones i've used since september 
period. Um, every once in a while, uh, the audio, I, I, you, it just gets a little stuttery. It's like there's some kind of Bluetooth, you know, some, somehow the wireless signal gets uh, jacked. And, you know, usually you can just take them out, put them back in, and, it, and you know, wait, wait a little bit, and it, and it fixes itself. Every once in a while, uh, one of them drops out, and I've got both in, but it somehow mistakenly puts itself into, oh, you just want to use one mode, because you can do that. You can just put one in, and it'll just play ah, through the one. Even though oh, I have both cool. in, like, the audio will stop playing to the right one. For a little, and then the way to fix it, or at least I've fixed it, is take them both out, put them in, put them in the little tic tac case, and start over. Um, but only it's only happened to me like twice, period. Uh, and I think that's it. I mean, that's pretty much the the only problems I've had with it. Every once in a while, you know. Oh, and the other problem is every once in a while, switching from one device to another, it doesn't go seamlessly. It's it it's not as magic as it should be. That I think though is more of an iOS problem than a problem with the AirPods. I think I suspect that software and I've seen that less. So I wouldn't even be surprised if that's actually been fixed in one of the recent. Um, I, I'm actually running the the betas on all my devices. Like my phone is still running a, the whatever the current developer beta of iOS. Oh yeah, is. yeah. Um, so I wouldn't even the be surprised. Two dot two. I, think I haven't seen out. that in a few weeks. Um, although I, I pretty much just use them with my iPhone too. This so. makes me think, you know, actually, as I think about it, I realize because they can push so much to software and firmware, <clears throat> um, my suspicion is even further that it's not a quality control issue. I just realized it's the next level thing, which is they got a bunch of units off. They went through quality control and went through automated testing. They started to pull samples to test and they found with samples that the defect rate wasn't being uh, determined through automatic testing. And then they started to test more and they realized that the defect rate was was whatever the defect was, was wider, more complicated, and that the whatever QC process they're using would not be adequate. Because mm. otherwise, <clears throat> excuse me, if, if they can make some that are good and some that aren't, they would have perhaps made a bunch and shipped out a quantity and said, look, we're getting an early amount out. We, we yeah. have manufacturing problems. We're going to catch up. We want to get the people who committed to this earliest. We're going to send the first 100,000 out, right? Because they, even if they lost 100,000, 100,000 units were bad and 100,000 were good, they might do it because they do like, you know, they do like to delight their customers. That's one thing they do. So my thinking is they couldn't even get a yield or reliability high enough that made them confident they could ship out any numbers in quantity yeah. um, and, until this. And I, <clears throat> they also tend to know how when they're going to catch up. Like so for example with Apple Watch, Apple Watch in you know the original one launched and couldn't meet demand. Not even close. But their estimates were, if anything, under-promising and over-delivering. So, like, if you ordered an Apple Watch right when they first started taking mm -hmm, orders mm -hmm. and and it, your, your preferred model said six to eight weeks, you probably got it in, like, five weeks. It, it seemed, you know, and, and it, there were people... Oh, yeah, they did that thing where they pushed the unpopular model that developers could get the blue, whatever the right, parameters were, right. which was nice. It was like, we have some that aren't committed, so we're going to make them available to, you know, and that's how a lot, I think a lot of developers made a lot of friends. And that's, those it's and also been true, for example, with the iPhone 7, you know, where there were certain models, you know, the Jet Black um, and the Plus size ones that, you know, if you didn't get your order in right at, at midnight Pacific, 
uh, you know, you were given a, you know, you you weren't going to get it on day one, but whatever they, whenever they were promising, that's when you got it. You did get it before. And I, you know, I ordered a couple of them and one of them, I don't know, six to eight weeks or something like that. And I got mm-hmm. it, I got it in four weeks. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. Uh, so whatever's going on with the AirPods isn't like that, you know, like it seems to me like they aren't willing to commit, you know, obviously if, if they could, if they felt like, well, we can't meet demand right now, but within two months we will, they'd start sell, taking orders and say six to eight weeks delivery. Exactly. And the other thing too, is that it, whatever it is, it was obviously a surprise and it's sort of like an unknown known, you know what I mean? Like they, they, they don't quite have a handle on the problem because I expected it, it it seemed like Apple expected when the invitations went out for the MacBook Pro event in October. It seemed as though they were expecting to launch yep. the AirPods at that event and say they're yep. now available. And that you know, I think those invitations, as as per Apple's usual want, only went out like a week before the event. So like yep. up to like a week before that event, they still thought that they were going to launch in late October. I I also think you know. So the narrative about Apple always gets spun. Um, they're doomed because of X, and we don't do that here because we know right. it's much, you know they've got two hundred billion dollars in the bank, and uh, you know I've said I think under a Trump administration Apple could do very well because they will have a deal to repatriate their money and uh, they'll pay some different tax rate, and that's probably going to get solved, right? So Apple will have even more money to spend in the U.S. that's repatriated, like you know they're not going anywhere. But I actually think this is a story that one could argue is um the difference between them and Samsung perhaps or a sign that Apple is still on the right track even if maybe they have too much on their plate that's not executing all in concert, you know, or not anticipating the USB-C adapter um negative response, then they lowered prices. So Apple didn't ship the AirPods and then say, "Oops, some of them are bad and take them into a store and we'll send you a box right. to return it." They said we can't ship these in good conscience because whatever reason. Maybe they couldn't even get them off the assembly line, which seems unlikely since they had review units. I'm sure they are ramped up to a point to be able to produce them in the quantities that they needed to ramp up towards. But this tells me they're more willing to take the hit of customers who are unhappy to get a thing that they want to delight them by just delaying indefinitely until they know they can deliver something that's functional. That is a good sign to me, even because right. you can't always hit on all cylinders on manufacturing. And, you know, they, they're losing sales, but are there things that are direct competitors that someone is saying, I'm canceling my airport AirPod order to buy this other thing? I think you just have a delay for most people who are going to be a buyer of it. <laughs> right. right. <The laughs> Apple's really screwed because some people who really want wireless headphones are buying the Beats. <laughs> <laughs> or they're waiting Apple right. sitting on waiting for you know a few million dollars relative to their multi-billion dollar earnings uh, so I can see uh, the possibilities would be uh, the best case scenario is that sometime in the next week Apple starts shipping them in significant quantity and I feel like if that happens it'll mostly be all's forgiven although I seriously think that They've shut one way they shot themselves in the foot is that the most likely time for someone to buy one is while they're buying their iPhone 7. And so there's an awful lot of people who would have said, well, what the hell? I'll tack on $150. Who now that their iPhone 7 doesn't even feel that new, it's like, well, that's just my iPhone. They're not going to spend $150 on it. But if they can do it in the next week in sufficient quantity, it's also very clearly. a stocking stuffer, right? I mean, like quite yeah, yeah. in every aspect of the word, you know, it's, it's 
something. This is an expensive gift you get for some. I mean, this is, right. a, you know, 100 and, what is it, 200 bucks? I forgot. Uh, 149 or 159 159 so, so it's, you know, it's out of the scale of a lot. It's, you know, I don't know what families have different limits and whatever, but it's like, you know, we got one of my kids. My, 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 it's a secret. My son doesn't listen. Neither of my kids listen to this podcast. Um, but uh, my uh, older <laughs> son has a, I hope so. I hope so. I, they, I don't think they listen to podcasts. When they get older, they will. They listen to the game show episodes of The Incomparable yeah. where some of the hosts will say, oh, no, Glenn's kids are listening you know, yeah. clean it up. Um, but uh, so my older son has a great proclivity towards music. He is, uh, thank God, not a prodigy because we know happy lives and prodigies do not go together. But he has skipped. He's a musical talent. It's really neat. And he's been learning a bunch of instruments and his flute is his primary one. But he suddenly got interested in the trombone. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I guess we have a small house, but you know, I, I love hearing him play. Okay. You know, and we got a mute for it. So his mother-in-law or my mother-in-law um father-in-law got that as a gift which is you know got a, got a modest model on sale and whatever but it's a it's a pricey gift and he'll appreciate it so that's kind of you know it's out of our usual scale yeah. but the grandparents are allowed to do that and and they asked well um if you look at like you know airpods we didn't get him we didn't get him airpods let me just tell you that right if you look <coughs> at, well oh no you nobody's getting airpods for good uh, at least not yet if you i'm getting i'm getting ear i'm getting ear plugs though that's going to be my if you look at the ipod sales history i mean there's a lot of reasons for the reasons it ramped up that the first few years it was a mac only product and and etc but it it's when they when they found good models that could hit that 199 price point is really when it exploded it's there's something magical about sub 200 dollars in terms of okay this isn't something you know we'll uh uh, it's not a lark, but it's you know a gift. So one fifty nine would be great if they can do it this week. It, it'll you know in quantity that would be great. That's the best case scenario, and I think it's mostly all's forgiven. If they ship mm. it in the next week or so, but it's not in sufficient quantity, and it's six to eight weeks back ordered past the holidays for just about it for all practical effects. That sucks, and that's obviously a huge miss for them yeah. because yeah. it was you know. It, it, the holiday, getting these things out in time to ship for the holiday was is huge. It's there's just no doubt about it. It's it's you know it's one of those items that's going to sell in that spiky. Whoa! Look at the the fourth quarter sells double what it does in the other three quarters of the year type product. Um, and then the. I think it- Third? I think it was a pull though. Oh, I'm sorry, it was a pull though too. When people bought AirPods, they they thought AirPod Plus the new phone. So some people right. delayed getting a new phone right. until they could get AirPods. Third case scenario would be it doesn't even ship for in in low quantity this month. Oh my god! Yeah, and there was Mac rumors had a story, you know, somehow sourced to the supply chain that it's been pushed back to January, and then the next day they had a counter story that said no, no, it'll it's shipping soon. Uh, that's really embarrassing. And then I guess, you, as, as terms of what's actually possible, it, you can't say it's impossible that they never even ship them. That it's, uh, you know, that. Oh man, that would be very bad for confidence. Not, you know, not on their, right. the financial side a bit, very small, but the confidence of it would. I be, guess never seems impossible. But ne- you know, what if it doesn't ship seems- until like July, like the oh white iPhone, right? It would just become a, you know, becomes an albatross, right? right. It's like. It's a very beautiful bird when it's flying, not so much when it's hanging around your neck. Yeah. Again, uh, it does yeah. not doom the company, but this is no. Just at this point, I'd feel like at you know December 9th, I mean, it's it's probably too close. I mean, it's you know we're talking fifteen, sixteen days 
till Christmas. There could be a bunch of people in a factory in China, very de- you know, delicately opening up things and fixing a tiny thing, or I have a, testing them I, one I, at a time. I don't know this, but I certainly would. I would bet heavily that there are some normally Cupertino. Oh, yeah. residents who are standing on, you know, who... do, do, you remember, do you remember that story about Tim Cook? Uh, it was a great story. Uh, I think it was you tell the it. thing. Yeah. It's the, um, they're having that meeting. What was, I can't remember the specific problem. Something was going on in China that was problematic. He's sitting there as CEO. The person at the table explains it and they go on the meeting. And at some point Tim looks at him and says, why, why are you still here? And the guy walked out and like literally got in a plane to China right. to take care of the problem. I'm telling it right, right? It's close well, yeah, to yeah. It's, it's somebody. You know, Tim said, well, "Okay, well, you're responsible for fixing it. You'll, you know, <laughs> yeah. you'll you'll have to go there to fix it." And then the meeting keeps going, and the guy didn't get up. And and Tim Cook says, "Why are you still here?" And so the guy realized <laughs> the guy realized that that's how quickly he wanted him to go. Yeah. And he drove. He didn't dro- go home and pack. He just drove to the airport and figured he'd yeah. get clothes. You know, once he gets to Beijing. You can buy clothes in China. I've heard very easily. Right. So, it's uh, that I and I would I like that. It also wasn't that Tim was you know screaming and red faced at him. He's just like, why right. are you still here? Right. I thought that that to me set a tone for the Tim Cook uh, administration, and um, I think it's followed through pretty well. That we expect that he holds people responsible without it. You know, for the right reason. When things aren't working, it's going to get fixed, and that's what this feels like from the outside. Yeah. That. There's a, yeah, there's a bunch of people who are, you know, like, oh, we got to get this fixed so I can be with my family at the holidays at the end of the year. Yeah. All right, let me take a break here and thank our third and final sponsor. Another longtime sponsor of the show with a, a just a fantastic service, MailRoute. You know who should handle your email security and delivery? People who only do that. That's MailRoute. This is what MailRoute does. All they do is they don't host email. They don't host your email. All they do is uh, filter it for you. Take all the junk out. So what the way it works is pretty simple. If you control a domain where you get email, whether you're a big company, like a, they, they do stuff for huge companies, or whether you're like me and I've got like the only person who has uh, at daringfireball.net email, it uh, doesn't matter, big or small, you just point your MX records for the domain to go to MailRoute first. Your mail goes to them first. They filter out all the junk, and then they immediately, you know, we're talking like a hundredth of a second later, it forwards on to your actual mail server. So from the outside, the MX records point to MailRoute. Then it goes to MailRoute, and it's just a filter. Literally, it's just the filter. And then the actual good email just goes right to your server. So it doesn't even take any longer that, you know, other than like fraction of a second. But all of a sudden, your email has no junk, no garbage, it just works. And that's all they do. This is all they do. It's a fantastic service and it really works great. Um, and all sorts of other companies are getting out of the email protection business because it's such hard work. Postini went away. Uh, McAfee's thing went away. MX Logic went away. Um, this is a tremendous service. There's no hardware or software to install. It's not like you install new software. Uh, you just point your domain at them. So it doesn't matter what you're using for your email doesn't matter if you're using like Microsoft stuff in a corporate environment or even if you're hosting on uh, Google Apps or something like that. Uh, so whether you're a small home business or a huge ISP, MailRoute handles customers of all sizes and provides the same level of outstanding tech support to everyone. Um, they, they send you anything you'd, you'd think you'd want with a service like this. Like do you want to get a report every day with like the, the – 
the mail that got filtered so you can like eyeball it and make sure that good stuff isn't getting caught. You can do that. It, it's so great. And it's just completely focused on this one thing, which is filtering the junk out of your email. Um, I don't know what else to say about them. If you control email for one or more domains, I really, really recommend that you look at it. Uh, they even give you a 30-day free trial. So you can go there, and, and just in the time it takes to change the MX records for your domain, there you go. You're set up, and you can go and, and try it out and see that it actually works before you even give them a nickel. And then once you do start paying, go to mailroute.net slash TTS. TTS, the initials for the talk show. Mailroute.net TTS. Uh, and if you've used that URL to get started, you get 10% off for the lifetime of your account. So like if you're using for like the next 15 years, every single month when you pay them, you save 10% because you started by going to mailroute.net slash TTS. So my thanks to them. Go check them out. Highly, highly, highly recommend them. Uh, what else is going on? You see this thing where uh, Apple launched their TV single sign-on? Yes. Yeah, they sort of they, they launched yeah, they launched it. All right, I'll give them that. They did launch it. So John Patchkowski put it well in a tweet. So just the other day, Apple launched the single. This is the thing where you can use your like cable service uh, username and password to sign in, and then all of the apps on uh, like your Apple TV that require a cable, you know, service thing to get. You don't have to log into each one of them individually and you know type the four digits from your phone and blah, blah, blah for each app over and over again. You sign in once at a system level, and then the apps just pick it up, and then they just work. The problem is that they launched it, and they don't have Comcast. They don't have Time oh Warner God. Cable. They don't have Fios. They don't have uh, – on the content side, they don't have ABC, CBS, or ESPN. They don't have HBO Go. Uh, <laughs> so – it's launched, but – and I guess, you know, there's the big ones that I can see in the list, and maybe I'm underestimating some of the ones, uh, you know, like I've never heard of some of these, like Hawaiian Telecom. Well, I guess yeah, I it's probably local to Hawaii. Um, the ones I've heard of are DirecTV and Dish. So if you have satellite TV if, through DirecTV or Dish, you're, you're in. Um, but without Comcast and Time Warner – and Fios, boy, that's, it's, I mean, and hopefully this is one of those things that it's just takes time to get these people on board. And maybe it's not even so much that they're reluctant to sign up, but that they're, they just need time to get it integrated on their back ends. But this doesn't look good either because this was announced at WWDC, I think, yeah. right? And it was emphasized and reiterated in the, uh, in the iPhone event in September, that later this year, we're going to you know, roll this out. This is when they announced that the uh, video app is renamed to TV on iOS. Um, it, it's, it was announced, and I don't, you know, if this is all they're going to have by the end of the year, boy, that's, it's nowhere near what they were promising in September. So this is another yeah. one where I feel like Apple is really falling short. I, I wouldn't have thought they would have announced it when they did unless they had uh, the biggest services signed on, especially HBO. They have a partnership with, although, I mean, I guess it's HBO via these providers, right. so the providers still the issue, but HBO's app is not listed. Right. So conceivably, even if HBO and the providers couldn't get a deal, then, you know, 
maybe HBO has contracts that prohibit them unless providers agree. Um, some of the apps are iOS only and some are TVS only. Most are most of those are that are some one platform only TVS TVOS um, as well. Uh, it it is weird because it seems. I mean, if you didn't have Comcast and uh, Time Warner, why wouldn't you have? Why would you have launched? Why would you have announced this right. like for pressure? Um, like, well, we'll get some of the big ones. Um, you know, they have some of them. I mean, DirecTV makes sense because the AT and T connection and all that. But it just it's uh, it it seems to me to go hand in hand with the AirPods in terms of yeah. that. It seems like they were taken by surprise. Like we, they thought that they had this. And it ends up they don't. Whether it's a negotiation thing that wasn't finalized or if it's a technical thing or a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, it seems to me that in September they thought they were going to have this by, you know, around now, end of end of November, very early December, and it, they don't. Well, we've heard, you know, about uh, Eddie Q showing up with an untucked shirt and pissing <laughs> off uh, the famous detail and pissing off TV or, you know, right. executives. I think it was whatever. Time Warner, right. It was Time Warner, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I mean, there is a little, I don't, I'm not going to credit that with being how, how real a thing that was because that came from the, the cable right. or the side, not from the Apple side or whatever. Um, but uh, it may be that they were just, you know, they've, Apple has been able to bull through a lot of deals on the advantage of bringing a ton of users along and it being a net benefit for subscriptions. Um, there's this related discussion that on, was it just on TVOS that Apple may drop the fee for subscriptions from 30% to 15%. Yes, uh, yes. So, which would be, it's a nice big carrot to give to any of the um, cable uh, cable uh, networks. And um, I'm always confused about exactly, I don't follow this closely enough, which premium channels are owned by which cable or media company. And because the cable companies now own right. sort of chains of media companies, it's all slightly interrelated there uh, too. So in some cases you're like, all right, well, they, and Com, you know, Comcast <clears throat> is, uh, um, all the different providers are going to move. I mean, everyone knows that eventually it's going to be unbundled, right? Very, everything's going to be unbundled. It, they're all fighting against it as hard as they can, but we've seen all the cracks. And AT&T's new DirecTV uh, Now deal is, uh, you know, a part of it. It's not necessarily even financially fantastic unless you do the early sign-up deal, uh, the $35 for 100 channels, mm -hmm. like, you know, lock-in. Like, that's a good deal, I think. But uh, we're, we're going to come to a world in which bandwidth is one thing. Uh, I've got my gigabit internet as long as it lasts from CenturyLink, which is a, you know, bottom tier telco that is, has a lot of, uh, uh copper installed. So they're sw trying to switch to fiber, but I have to hope they actually survive and this is viable. Uh, but you know, even Comcast is delivering higher speeds or delivering higher caps. There's all these zero rating issues that are coming up with AT&T in terms of how they'll count, uh, direct TV streaming over wireless. Like there's a whole swirling miasma of things. And I would have thought in the middle of this, that Apple would have been a great tool for the cable operators yeah. to extend value and for the cable channels they own, which are many of them, to you know have more people signed up in various ways. And, so it, you it's know, baffling to me yeah, as a and result. And the single sign-on thing seems to me like, why not? Like if you were at Comcast, like if you all of a sudden you're an executive at Comcast, I can see where they're wary of things that enable cord cutting. Right, because they don't. They, you know, they want to fight that, and they want to milk the. Uh, we have these customers paying us a hundred and some dollars a month every month for cable TV, and mm -hmm. that's a really nice deal. And we want to keep that going as long as we can. But the single sign-on is based on that. 
right? It's based on the idea that you're still paying for a monthly thing, right? It's not a cord cutting thing. So why not get on board with it? I, I don't quite get it. Mm-hmm. Unless it's just technical problems. Unless well, it's like because I can do it now, right? Comcast, I can use a Comcast sign-in for uh, all sorts of things already. They're not right. preventing me from doing it. This just makes it harder, right? Right. It's, it's exactly a, yeah. it. All right. It's just making something easier for the for the person, you know, for the user that that you can already do. I already have on my I have Comcast service and I have an Apple TV and I have uh, at least a handful of apps from cable channels like HBO, it's the main one, where I have to sign in with my Comcast credentials to prove that I have cable. Uh this would just make it easier. And I so it's it's a little frustrating to me. I have to not. believe that Comcast and some of the other big ones think they're going to lose some kind of audience presence to Apple by allowing right. Apple to overbrand it. There's also the um, the melding of it, right? The TV app is going to going to right. well, that's different. Though. Of- Again, I can see why they're not participating. Right? You know, oh, like you're in, right. that, yeah. Netflix okay. in particular is is a holdout on that. And speaking but of you're Netflix, right, but these other these other things will though, right? I mean, yes. the TV app will include. All, a lot of like stuff drawn from all these other apps, so it's not necessarily a perfect overlap that they're not allowing this. It just seems it seems inconvenient instead of a strategy. Right. So I have to believe there's something we don't understand. Let's not just peak, or there's some money that should be changing hands that Apple doesn't want to pay, or yeah. um, Comcast, etc. Thinks they're losing out somehow. I saw the other day that Netflix became the top grossing iOS app, and now I just oh. looked as we were talking, and it's slipped to number two behind Clash Royale. Uh, interesting but it's you know now that they because it used to be that they didn't take signups because i guess they didn't want to split the money with apple you had to you know sign up for netflix outside of ios in a web browser and then you could sign in with your credentials but now that they're taking the the in-app purchases they're the number two grossing app and that's only counting the people who are paying through ios not all of the all of us who've been signed up for netflix for years aren't even in there so in terms of like hey is netflix doing well (laughs) that looks like they are but i'm curious this is one of those things that i've sort of lost track of is that whole okay we're going to give some of you guys big name tv channels in 85 15 split instead of 70 30 like did netflix get in on that or were they too soon like is this based on an 85 15 split or 70 30 i don't know if anybody knows that other than you know apple and netflix i don't think i've seen anything that's even hinted that someone knew which ones were involved and i have to believe see for netflix has an interesting um situation like apple doing that second year subscription price you know you're only paying a 15 percent uh, commission now, like that's part of a, that's a change that I think a lot of people found significant and worthwhile, yeah. especially in the for smaller companies or any, some of the bigger ones that sell subscription stuff and really rely on the on in app purchases uh, or in app based purchase uh, system. Uh, but the uh, Netflix may have reached a point where it has saturated its ability to acquire a market from uh, or to acquire customers in a way that they know the cost is going to be lower than 30%. So if they're not getting 15%, they may have said, all right, we now need to sweep in people that we're not getting. Our numbers, our spreadsheet shows that giving up an extra 15% here is worthwhile for the first year because it pencils out good for us and we get the money in the second year. And some of these people may unsubscribe and resubscribe through the website because they're now our customers and you know, it all works. It's all good now because we're in the last X percentage people we can reach. Yeah, and they seem to have done pretty well with a fairly liberal policy of shared accounts, mm-hmm. you know that they're not real. Uh, doesn't seem like they're a big on trying to lock down like 
you know, three or four people sharing an account uh, right. a bunch, across a bunch of, cause it seems like they're, you know, they have the right idea, which is look, somebody's paying us 10 bucks a month or whatever it is. Uh, and multiply it by the number of X millions other people who are paying us 10 bucks a month. If, you know, there's some leakage here of shared accounts, who cares? The money coming in is great and growing mm -hmm. and the content, you know, what we're paying for the content is here. So we're, you know, uh, you know, it seems like they, they've, they've always had a good balance in that front. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, last topic I can think of um, is you wanted to talk about Farhad uh, Manju's column this week in the New York Times, which was oh. the death of gadgets. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of like this piece because um, I realized it seemed like I'm trying to think how many years ago it's occurred to me. I think when Gizmodo said that they were going to sort of change how they approached what what they were doing with reporting and structure, was that like three years ago now? I'm yeah, thinking maybe. Was, I don't know. There was a point at which it seemed like gadgets started to go away. Like the obsessive focus on gadgets. There was something, I Gizmodo was the first, and then there was Engadget, then there was Gadgets, and then there were, you know, a thousand, thousand blogs that were devoted to obsessive coverage with as much leaked information and unboxing and everything as possible of every little doodad that came out. And I'll tell you, like, even on my now dead, I mean, still archive Wi-Fi networking news site, one of the most popular things I ever posted there was a tiny, it was a, a post and a tiny video about this thing called a Canary Wireless something. And it was like a tiny standalone device that would show you what Wi-Fi networks were around you. It was like a handheld Wi-Fi detector and it would list off the networks on an LED display or a LCD display. And um, peop, I mean, that still gets traffic, which is weird to me now, but uh, people were obsessed with gadgets for the longest time and it it uh it really did help you know it, it was a proven way to get traffic and it was a proven way to get advertising the whole ecosystem worked and some of these sites became super highly trafficked and uh then i felt like it shifted i felt like people were less obsessed with it and i was like well what what really happened do people have enough gadgets like as that run out are we replacing multi or like single purpose things with multi-purpose things and um it slowly kind of ebbed away and i think I feel like Farhad put a really good cap on it. Uh, the gadget apocalypse is upon us, is his head, right? And uh, you know, it starts out, remember gadgets. And I thought, you know, this is a good concept. He's like, we had decades in which, like, there were all transistor radios. Oh, do you remember? The big thing to me was, you remember the flip, how quickly the yeah. flip died? It was this giant thing, right? And then everyone, I'd never heard of it. Suddenly, everyone has one. Yep. Suddenly, they flame out. It right. was incredible. Well, here's um, what I, I don't... I, did. I think that part of this is that the the smartphone is the the Uber gadget. Yeah. Right? And yep. you know, for example, that's exactly what happened Flip is it got killed by <laughs> it got killed by the phone. And I think a lot of other things have too. Transistor radio. I mean, it's everything, right? It's our camera, it's our Walkman, it's our iPod, it's our it's our newspaper, it's, you know, HD radio, satellite radio. I mean, satellite radio, I think, is doing okay. I mean, it's right. not small, but it's not as... I think it had a bigger arc Yeah, but you can before. get... My wife listens to XM on her iPhone. Right, which is smart for... Yeah, you know, smart for... They don't have to, you know how much the satellites cost to launch. They had a failure with some of their satellites because yeah. of the Boeing issue. I mean, there's satellites are not a great way to run, <laughs> run a business. But like Pebble, you know, this was precipitated by Pebble. Right. Um, uh, getting bought by Fitbit and then saying, "Well, you know, uh, we don't know how long we're not we're not going to make or ship any more watches." Yeah, they didn't really. It's money. not like they sold it as a platform. They, it's more yeah. or less an aqua hire where exactly where, where so, Fitbit bought their engineering and but, whatever 
but it had no it had no future right. um, with with the, between smartwatches from major vendors like Apple and uh, iPhones and smartphones that have more capabilities. Like what's going to happen with Fitbit? What's going to happen with um, you know uh, then uh, Nest? There's a lot of discussion about what happens right. to Nest. Uh, does it have a, a future exactly? You see. Um, uh, there's a, a story, and I had missed this, and I felt sort of, I feel sort of terrible. Um, 3D Robotics was founded by a drone company, personal drone company, founded by Chris Anderson uh, and a partner. And Chris used to be the editor-in-chief of Wired. And a few years ago, he left Wired to take over full-time. They raised $100 million in venture. They tried to produce a super premium um, drone that would be like a – they kind of moved from kits and other stuff to a super premium drone. They had a lot of problems in production. By the time they got to kind of a point where things were okay, China had basically caught up. Like cheap production in China um, had overtaken their ability to make something that w- was competitively priced. And that's part of the story. So uh, that is part of the issue is anything you can make. Like you look at Nest. You're like, well, I could pay $200. I think it's still for the first unit. Right. You can get IP cameras that don't have the same cloud functionality or different and have horrible security problems, but they cost like 30 bucks, yeah. you know, and they're slightly worse. Um, it's the not quite good enough, but not so horrible that people just completely abandon it kind yeah. of thing. And um, that's, uh, you know, we've got uh, Farhad lists up a bunch of stuff, but it's a good tie together, like MakerBot, not really yeah. getting to the level that, and um, it's it's sort of sad because gadgets kind of drove the entire electronics and technology industry. We've always loved them. Um, but yeah, you know, we saw this happen with, with uh, snapshot cameras. Snapshot digital cameras are not dead as a category, but they might as well be. And even DLSRs have been have been eaten away. Um, it's not necessarily true. You don't choose between a five thousand dollar DLSR and a uh, you know smartphone. But mirrorless cameras, which are much less expensive, or well, can be much I less also expensive, think I another, think have eaten away there too. I think another thing with cameras is, in addition to being eaten by the phone at the consumer yeah. end, at the high end, they've also reached a point where the rapid increases in the digital quality have slowed. Yes. Where your it's more like the film days, right? Like in the film era, you could get, a, you could be like a serious, even a professional photographer and not buy new equipment for long stretches of time, right? You, you Until right. they break. Because number one, the high-end stuff is usually made, built to last, really great build quality. You're sh- and the technology stopped changing. It was the same 35 millimeter film. Your a good lens was a good lens, you know, and I think the digital has sort of gotten to that point too, where where even the pros don't need to buy cameras as frequently because they're not getting as much bang for the buck by upgrading after two or three years. Yeah, you can't. You can't. I mean, the megapixel myth is a megapixel myth, right? There's right. a point at which, beyond which, a better sensor, a bigger, better sensor, doesn't buy you enough more to be worth upgrading, even if it is better. That's where uh, Lytro was trying to introduce computational right. photography as a gimmick. There's a camera called the Light L16 that hasn't shipped yet that has 16 lenses on it and will let you create like this 52 megapixel image with a tiny format camera using computational photography. Right. It's a very curious approach. It is not going to be a mass market thing, but it's very interesting. Um, you know, so but that's I think that's the truth with everything. Like GoPro just stumbled. They try to expand a different market. It's, and GoPro is just not, the new flip. I've been saying yeah, this forever. It feels like, but right. they had a great. I mean, they had a great run. I hope people made money because they had a great run. Right. They had a niche product, and you know, so um, I don't know. I'm a little sad because I grew up with gadgets, and I feel like I wasn't like a gadget. Um, 
uh, you know, Maven, I never really got into the gadget blogging side of things. I do review products and things like that. But, um, you know, the, he was also pointing out the Kindle, Kindle, the Echo, like these kinds of – the Echo is a gadget killer at some level because you don't yeah, need other Yeah, but it is a gadget. Stuff. See, that's why it's a gadget, but it's one monolithic gadget right. from one giant company. Right. That's it's, sort of – that, and that is sort of the smartphone as the gadget killer is that the computers have gotten so good that m- meta gadgets – are killing, yes, you, know, that's it. you know, like yeah. a, a handful of really good smart computers, like an Echo and a Mac and an iPhone, and all of a sudden it they combined obviate an entire drawer full of gadgets. Right. Like, what else do you need? You don't need a music player. You don't need a cam. You don't need a snapshot GoPro style camera. You don't need a voice need a recorder. You know. Yeah. Right. You get a case for your camera is now your GoPro, right? Like I've seen a lot of that. Um, and uh, you know, I was testing some add-on lenses for iPhone 6s that'll that'll work with a different case with the iPhone 7. Um, iPhone 7 uh, Plus is just ridiculously good too. Like the two lenses. <laughs> really do, do you have one still? I forgot. I still have. A, I have my review unit here. I, I, I just took pictures in the dark outdoor snow. It's night. This, it's cloudy. I'm in Seattle, right. and I took pictures that I think are absolutely beautiful with the one X lens. Uh, I'm like, I'm like, I can't get a, you know, I'd have to. I pulled out my, I have a mirrorless camera with a, you know, it's like a th- when I bought it, it was like a thousand dollar system. I have a pancake lens for it. That's an affordable pancake. I went out and took some pictures with that, and you know, the difference is not in that kind of lighting. I, th- I in the the mirrorless I have, I can push it to oh, 25,600 yeah. ASA where it's super grainy. So I have to bump it down. The quality of the image from the iPhone 7 Plus and the $1,000 mirrorless, I'm like, uh, you know, the mirrorless has other attributes that are great. But for that kind of shot, I'm like, I don't think there, it's not really... Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't think it's the death of gadgets, but I think it's the death of the uh, drawer full of gadgets Joyful. right yeah, so I he agree. has a good point it's a good it is a good column i'll put a but link in the notes his, his point too is i think that like amazon google apple and a handful of other companies essentially now dominate so the yeah. place for innovative startup interesting niche things is not dead but like at the moment it the what those are going to be i think seems pretty yeah um, i think i think it's thin. true too i i've long thought this about like and pebble is a perfect example where the hand the small team or maybe even the one person show uh can still make a, an enormous effect with software but yep. with hardware at least electronic hardware no and i think That's, yeah. i really think that pebble their first one was good enough to be their first one, but their improvements, their subsequent improvements mm. were way too little, too late, at way too slow a pace. They needed no, much better screens you. and much better uh, everything, much quicker. And I think, I, I don't even know that it was a failure. I think, it, you know, in terms of, I don't know that, that a team that small could have done better. Like you no. almost have to be Apple's or Amazon's or Google size to, to do stuff like that. I, I think you're right. And the Pebble hit a point when, the thing it did best, I think you said, was notifications. That's what I heard from a lot of people. Yes. But it couldn't integrate well enough right. with everything. Right. And that didn't change because iOS didn't change. Right. And, and my personal thing. take on their notifications, the thing that killed it for me, above and beyond the display, was that I found their vibrate their vibrating engine for the notifications to be physically unpleasant. Oh, so, my gosh. Well, And obviously, other people disagree because I have friends, you know, like Jason Snell and uh, my friend Paul Kafasis, who wore their Pebble watches or maybe even still wear them. I don't know, but wore them for a long time. But I found it to be unpleasant. It was way too much of a, a – it just – it just wasn't a very pleasing haptic feedback and it was the best feature the watch had. And so it made me dread 
taking advantage of the best feed. I, I didn't want any notifications because oh I found it to be unpleasant. So no. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I have got to go. We got to wrap it up. This just hit the two hour mark. So that's, that's a right. show. Uh, yeah. Glenn F G L E N N two ends. You get the second end for free. Uh, Glenn F on Twitter. Uh, where else can people find find your work? Uh, I uh, write a lot at Macworld. Some some days, the poor folks at Macworld. Some days, because of uh, all the help questions I write and all that, um, you may see too much of me at macworld dot com. And uh, my, uh, I, th- I think that's probably the best places right now to find me. Right. I'd point out too. By the way, we didn't cover this very briefly. I do have a story up today. If you have an Apple Cinema display with DisplayPort, not an Apple Thunderbolt display, looks like there may be some solutions coming. Um, One person found this amazing three-cable solution to use with a MacBook Pro. It's like it's like an adapter, a cable, and an inline coupler, and it works. Hmm. And it costs like 30 bucks. but there are some adapters coming. I know tons of people keep asking about that. There's a column up at Macworld about it, and if you have one of those displays and your USB-C Thunderbolt 3 concern is real, then look for that. <laughs> With that, it's a show. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you so much. <laughs>